Today is Tuesday, December 12th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, let's talk about some Hebrew-Israelite music. It does exist, and it's not really my thing, but um, we talk about that a little bit. Then we talk about veganism, um, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, what does the Bible command, what is morally acceptable, yada yada, Daniel, the Daniel fast, you know, did Daniel do this to show a superior form of, of eating vegetables, or was it a, to get a sign from God? Um, you know, so we talk about that for a while, um, then we get on uh, God and time being inside time, outside of time and space, not uh, beholden to time and space that he himself creates and sustains, and then that goes back into, it's, it's like a, a medley between that and getting back into the Garden of Eden, do we have evidence based on Genesis 9, I believe, that, uh, you know, everyone was, quote, vegan, which entails a lot more things than just don't eat animals. Um, so we, we kind of clear that up and then talk super in depth. Um, I, I kind of zone out and let Chris and Faithful take it over. They uh, go back and forth a long, long time, very, very deep down this trail of, you know, the original wording, the original Hebrew. They get into the textual criticism of it. And, uh, you know, we discuss what is the perfect ideal standard for health and habits, and what is acceptable and allowed? And uh, anyway, so how was it in the beginning? Uh, so we we have much discussion, and um, yeah, enjoy this discussion. It was good. So share these links. Check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon. Check out the Ask a Christian store. The links are in the description. Click on those and show some support for people sharing the gospel to people on the internet. Have an awesome day. See you later. Next time you see him, he'll be in like all the Hebrews or like regalia, like with a big, like shiny frock and like some medallions. Maybe Dude, I'm did you I just see what J Man posted? No, I what? Forgot it was, I forgot it was Tuesday. It, it is Tuesday. Tuesday. The song yeah. called Lick My Feet. Is yeah, that real? Apparently. J Man, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm going to need a link for that. And that's not yeah, I was going to say, could you post a link because I'm terrified now? Because the only the only other one that I have here would be like Hebrews to Negroes, we the people, forever, Elohim, Father Abraham. Let me see what else we have here. Spiritual combat. All I can think of is Abraham is not your father. You are your father's devil. <laughs> <laughs> they have one called Prodigal Son. Do they even believe in that? Is this the God First game? No, no. This is from a this is from a, a channel called the Tribe of Judah songs. Oh, he says lick my feet was a joke. All right, Bobby, let's pull our musical talent together and create a song on behalf of Hebrew Israelites <laughs> called "White Women Lick Our Feet." Oh my God, <laughs> dude! Can you guys even imagine if you guys put out a label just of Hebrew Israelite music and it was wildly successful? <laughs> it's like Eminem. <laughs> oh, dude, I wish. It's like, a, it's like a white rapper doing Hebrew is right. <laughs> Let me you see. channel your inner Eminem, Bubby? Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm channeling my inner Eminem for sure. My inner white boy. Mom, scary. Hey, hey. People don't like me. Hey. From the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham. I ain't no Egyptian. I ain't no Muslim. I ain't no Kabbalah. <laughs> 
I mean, I might start praying in tongues after that. He you start praying in tongues on baby. Why? Bro, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. Anyway, enough of the foolishness. <laughs> Do you have something that would not be foolishness? Uh, how about how about I'm gonna quote Carmen and 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 I'm gonna um, and, the singer uh, Carmen. Yeah, I'm gonna quote Carmen. Are you A to J? Oh, you know I what that means. Something about, I remember something about that. That's man, that's going way back in my childhood. It's called addicted to Jesus. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and you know who sings that with them, right? Is it MC Hammer? No, DC Kirk Talk. Franklin. Oh. DC Talk. All right, all right. Well, you, well, okay. name the most famous mem- member of DC Talk. Toby Mac. Yeah. <laughs> at least I got. At least I got one right. Out of now. My I mean, I had a one in three chance. <laughs> my what? My favorite DC talk song still is "I Love Rap Music." It's got to be Jesus Freak, man. That's that's just a classic. That song's great. <laughs> if you swear you listen to Will Smith's parents just don't understand, I promise you. <laughs> They, I think they use the same beat, uh, but anyway, and they also have they have a song called "Socially Acceptable." It's okay, it's all right. Socially acceptable, it's okay, but in who something? Yeah, just something to pick your brain, make you think. <laughs> anyway, uh, the the message Sunday was addicted to ministry, and and it was. Uh, uh, the uh, the man of God who uh, did a, did the church anniversary um, uh, message, uh, Bishop uh, John Bumpus from uh, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, he uh, used these three men, the finest, Fortunatus, and the Caiaphas. Um, men Back who to you, Chris. Oh. Men who, men who actually brought the letter to the Corinthians. <laughs> so, and uh, so the question is, are you addicted to ministry or are we addicted to politics? Ooh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> um, did you upset all the Biden voters? <laughs> and uh, I didn't accept the Biden voters. I didn't accept the, the Trump voters. I just want to make you think: who's more important, God or your your political persuasions? Because it seems like lately, in our American gospel, we put we put them, our political persuasions, over God Himself.
Yep, Bodie agrees. But I would also not say that that is a call to like abstain from politics. Like, you know, usually when you hear that, who's more important, God or your political party? Everyone's like, oh, right, right, right. I can't have anything to do with politics. It's like, well, no, that's wrong either. Like, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, for example, things about sexuality. Yeah, totally what Jesus says. Oh, that's also a political issue. Well, I guess I can get involved because I'm just saying what the Bible says. <clears throat> for example. No, no one. All right. I pray for the damnation of Alabama. Something about football, right? Absolutely. Is that like the whole state or is it just football? Um, the whole state and football. I have some friends that live there. Oh, that's so tough. They shouldn't have robbed FSU of their spot in the college football playoffs. May God cast judgment and make all their churches LGBT. <laughs> here, here, here's, here's, here's something ironic. I'm from Michigan. So I, I'm from Michigan. And pulling from Michigan, my wife is from Alabama. I'm in. I'm in Alabama right now. <laughs> oh, great! So, so, so we got we we got somebody from the team that cheated, and one and somebody from the team that paid their way in. That's no, great. the team did. No, no, the team didn't cheat. The coach mm. cheated. Mm. You can't blame them boys. <laughs> you can't blame them boys. Why you? Why do we want to blame the whole when it's generally one or two? Because those one or two change match results for the whole. <laughs> That's how God judged Israel according to its kings. Amen. Okay. Yeah, but it was always a faithful remnant, too. The Bible also says that supporting Nick Saban is heresy. <laughs> and I will not and support Nick Saban. Did the Nick Saban come across the land like a plague? Oh, and by the way, let's see, my, you don't, y'all don't make my wife mad. <laughs> they made the entire state of Florida mad. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It should have been the undefeated teams or against undefeated teams. I Amen. Amen. Uh, I agree with you. But uh, my wife, I, I, I see that I live with my wife now. <laughs> 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 Even though I told her and the whole church, Michigan is going to stop Alabama. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you should have said anything about politics. You should have said, is football more important than your Lord? Oh, that's a, that, that's a that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one there. Oh, that's the easiest one of the day. Heck no, not even a question. Not even a question. me. Sucks. Oh Jesus. <laughs> well, I, I know one man said if you if you 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 go sports fan. <laughs> what? Yeah, is there is there an alarm that somebody hasn't caught? <laughs> I think so because I hear it. You oh, better no. wake up whoever needs to wake up. Yeah, man. Hey, Bubby, you want to try to you want to try to get tacos this week? Uh, my car's in the shop. I won't be able to. Chris will what? deliver it to your house. <laughs> Chris I mean, will I deliver can, it to your house. I can pick you up. I mean, you know, I have I have a car as well. I'm not, you know, riding public transport or anything. No, that's really. fair. Yeah, that's fair. 
I'd like tacos. No, Nate. Well, Nate, first of all, you're a dirty vegan. Second of all, no, I'm not. I haven't been a vegan in like months. I'm like the worst disgusting vegan. Disgusting vegan. <laughs> Dude, I, I guarantee I probably explicitly eaten. going against God's commandment, telling us that all the animals in the land were for us, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, they're not for me. It could be for us, meaning like, you know, companionship or tilling the soil. Doesn't mean for us means you automatically have to rip out their guts and eat them. That being said, I bet in the last like eight months, I've eaten more meat than you guys have eaten in the last three years, probably combined. I hope that people because would... you got to fight that anemia. That all, all I got to say is that I hope people with Priuses that are vegan understand that they're causing more damage to the environment than they think they are. What's up, guest back? How are you? That was Mr. that was my daughter-in-law's uh, alarm going off. She finally turned. What's it up, Mister Gas? Yo, what up? What up? Are you just talking about veganism or what? Uh, well, that sports, politics, God was somewhere in there. Are you guys Christians? A yeah. one, two, three, four. Uh, yes. Last time we checked. Yes, sir. What are or are not you? I'm an atheist. And a vegan, so, you know, we probably got a lot to argue about. Oh, Lord. I was a vegan until I fell off the wagon rather hard in the last several months. Amen. I was a vegan for, like, almost six years, though. Five and a half, six years. Yeah, that's pretty good. What uh, what made you want to start hurting animals? <laughs> what a loaded way to present the question. Uh, that's a fantastic question. I Ouch. <laughs> yeah, answer it, Nate. Well, hey, we got to take care of all of you lifelong non-vegans uh, first. Then we'll talk about the speck in my eye when you do it with the logging your own. How about that? Um, when was the last time you walked up to a cow and just started slicing steaks off of it? It was like last week, right? Um, I mean, I've murdered as many cows as, what is it Michael says? Murdered as many people as he's wanted to, which is zero. Personally. Anyways, no, I mean, my, my story is quite long and boring, but it starts with, uh, yeah, I was, I was like doing really good. I still, uh, you know, still kind of overweight because, you know, even though I was a vegan, I, you know, freaking love pasta and bread and stuff like that. So uh, I decided, I'm like, you know what, I, I got to really get in shape and do better at this. So I cut all that out for like three months, lost like almost 50 pounds, like 45 pounds, in like three months. Like I was, I was like a, a machine. So I, um, I was living like 800 calories a day max. I was going to the gym like twice a day. Uh, and I just freaking like shredded all, all the extra weight. And that was my goal was to like get down some weight. And then I thought once I get here, then I'll just do half the work and, you know, eat a little bit more and be able to maintain that because I don't want to keep losing weight forever. I just want to maintain. Turns out that's a big lie. So that may be the greatest <laughs> lie in the history of the world, um, except for the devil convincing people he's not real. <clears throat> but um, I mean, that was a lie. So basically, I'm like, no, you have to do like 95 percent of what you were doing in order to maintain. So, so I, I'm like, wait, I did not sign up for this. Like, I don't want this lifestyle change. Like <laughs> I, I want pasta. I want garlic bread. I want some sweets. So whenever I started going back to what I thought was going to be moderation territory and found out it was just not, I'm like, wow, I had like a Solomon moment. I'm like, everything's meaningless. Life is awful. I'm like, every, we're all going to die. So I, I just like really got off track and in a funk. So I just started like eating everything. And then one day, like my parents visited and there was like a little bit of extra pizza left over. 
and it was like midnight and I'm like, well, no one else is going to eat this. I mean, I don't want to just waste it. So like, I'll just try a little nibble. And, uh, you know, now here we are. So, uh, I'm like, I, I, I can't keep this up. I got to get back to some semblance of normal. Cause I'm just, I'm just like a garbage disposal right now for food. There's my story. Man. Yeah. I can, um, I mean, I can relate to that in some ways. It seems like, uh, yeah, like I mean, eight hundred calories you would be. That is like, like um, that's literally like what they were giving like people who were in the Holocaust, like to eat. They would give them like eight hundred calories a day. So that's like, <laughs> that's an extreme deficit for sure. So, yeah. Well, thank but, you for um, your compassion, and understanding. See that Christians, the atheists, did a better job than you mockers. Thank you, guess I appreciate you. Yeah, you're still. Cool. Yeah, I understand it to some extent. Um, and I've, I've been there. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a kind of person as well that I kind of like, I like to go hard into things and sometimes I go a little too hard and then I get like off track a little bit. So I can, I can relate to it in that way. But, um, I don't know. You could still like, you could definitely eat way more calories and like you could still eat pasta and stuff and, and lose weight. But I'm not a, I'm not a huge health guy. I'm more like a, a vegan for like the moral stuff. I think it's, um, it can be, it's way healthier than like, standard american diet um but yeah i'm more into the ethics of it than than the health stuff in specific yeah like when i started it it was for health it was like um you know like higher cholesterol and stuff like that so i'm like well i'll just uh because with me it's, it's usually like all or nothing like i i do not moderate well <laughs> um so it's all or nothing so they're like we well, have high cholesterol blah 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 i'm like well i don't want to do medicine i'm too young for medicine so i'm like um, you know, I'll just stop eating anything that has cholesterol in it, which, you know, is animals. Um, so I just stopped eating everything with cholesterol. And, um, so there you go, just like that veganism, um, you know, including all the dairy and all the other, like anything to do with it. So, um, and then I, I kind of also had like this minimalist approach and I'm like, well, if I don't need something, I don't want to, I don't want to do it or use it or buy it or whatever. So, um, you know, I ended up cutting out coffee, tea, soda, like juice, like everything. So I'm like, well, all I need to live drink-wise is water, so that's all I'm going to have. So I, I kind of took that approach with food, too. Um, anyways, and also, like, inflation does not help. Like, so I used you, to make the argument, I'm like, well, look. I'm like, look, well, look, vegetables are cheap anyway. Um, so, I mean, you, you can be a vegan for cheap. But still, I mean, if you want, like, you know, like the, um, like the occasional, you know, hot dog or hamburger type thing done vegan where it's made with, like, wheat and stuff like that. And, and other vegetables. Ew. I mean, that's you still got to pay like market price for that stuff. So I mean, you know, I, I can't do like a four-star gourmet chef out of like vegetables every single day. So whenever I want those things, like man, it's so expensive now. It's unnecessarily expensive. I think the vegan community is being persecuted by greedy people. That's what I think. What do you think, Yes. Um. Yeah, it's probably like definitely like the mock meats and stuff. It's probably about as expensive as like just a regular hamburger. Like if you get the Impossible Whopper or whatever. Um, I kind of I I agree with most of that. I that stuff it kind of it doesn't make me feel super good, so I only eat it on occasion. But yeah, I normally just stick to like pretty much whole foods. Like today, I'm making I don't know like I pretty much have oatmeal every day. That's pretty good, and I make burritos like a like refried beans and ground beef tofu stuff and i don't know yeah make burritos and stuff but yeah it's definitely a little more expensive if you want to buy like the the fancy vegan stuff 
I mean, I will say one thing it was like a, a lifesaver was tofu. Like I, I never had any intention on liking it as much as I do, but man, whenever you like fry that and add, you know, add the right kind of sauce, it is some good stuff. Even my kids like it. Yeah. I think some people that like eat it raw or something and then they don't like it, but you definitely, you gotta like, like if you ate like raw chicken, it would taste bad too, but you gotta, you gotta put the right seasonings on it. And that tastes quite good. Yeah, and I like spicy food too. So like we use this Cajun season it's seasoning, it's great. I make this stuff so, seitan uh, that it's like super high protein. But yeah, go ahead, Chris. I was just gonna say I think uh Bubby is going to ask you uh right now, actually either he's I think he's about to ask you what is the uh moral basis um or or what is the what is the logical oh, absolutely basis not. No, no. Let, 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 me, let me correct you. Let me correct you. <laughs> when it comes, when it comes for, when it comes for the argument on veganism versus eating animals, I completely concede that the vegans are in the right in the moral argument. I just don't care. What about eating people, Bubby? Nah, I wouldn't do that. What if it's what if it's in the form of soylent green? <laughs> no. I, I mean, give it give it ten years. I mean, it's probably going to happen. Honestly, in some respects, I I kind of respect like somebody who's aware that they're like uh, they could be making betterly better moral choices, but they choose not to. Is it like is it just like convenience? Like if like let's say we yeah, had like for for me right like, now, it's mostly just convenience slash I like the taste of that food a lot, and it's a staple of my culture a lot of the time. So like for me. For me to not be able to eat any animal products would essentially kill any food choice that I have if I go back home or if I go anywhere else that's not my own place. And especially because I don't like I don't like just eating vegetables alone and I don't like getting my protein simply from like beans and lentils alone. Like for me, I would just want to like I want to have a variety of things to eat that don't taste like I'm trying to be healthy 24 seven because everything else that actually tastes somewhat decent. Cause I tried the whole veganism thing for like a couple months and it was like the worst thing I've ever gone through because when, when I went, when I ate like the, like the soy, the soy based uh, burgers or like the hot dogs or like anything that tried to imitate something that was like real, uh, it just tasted like absolute garbage and I did not like it. Now, if anybody, if anybody does like that stuff, like all, all props to you, amazing that your taste buds can handle that, but mine couldn't. So for me, it's just, Convenience number one, price number two, and cultural values number three. I think I think the you know the fake stuff gets a bad rap sometimes, like you, because there's so many brands, and you know like half of it's trash, and I agree with Bubby, and it's disgusting. Uh, but I mean, you know, there's some stuff that's pretty tasty, like you know, like no, Dr. there's like Prager's. some there's like some vegan chips that are like really good too that I still buy today. They're like awesome, but like most of like the variety of foods that are there is just not my style. And I'm a picture. For the record, is Oreos are vegan. So like if, you know, if you want to be a non-healthy vegan, grab some Oreos. There you go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, like for for me, like I'm already a very picky eater as is. So for me to go to veganism would be like very difficult because I won't like half the stuff that's get offered because I'm just like, ew, tomatoes, ew, onions, ew, this, ew, that. You don't like tomatoes and onions? If they're whole or like chopped up, I don't like them at all. Well, I mean, I don't like tomatoes like whole, but I mean, if it's sliced like on something or in a salad. No, like, like for like example, like if there's, I'm talking about like the slices of tomatoes like on a burger or like the onions on a burger. Disgusting. Never. No pickles, oh, no onions, no tomatoes, none of that. 
Especially like like onions and mushrooms if they're like sauteed and everything. Mushrooms like, neither. Nope. Everything. Mushrooms. Nope. No to mushrooms too. Then drink your cow blood. See, see, the funniest the funniest thing is like this is back in our B, back in my BC days. I wouldn't eat a mushroom unless the mushroom gave you certain effects. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing like grilled onions and tomatoes and lettuce on your cheeseburger. Impossible Whopper or regular. No, get yourself get yourself a burger, triple stacked with cheese, lettuce, and tons of bacon. And see, that's the thing. Like, there's some things that that I I hate anyways. Like uh, like regular cheese, like you know, made from made from like you know cow milk. Like I I just don't like it. Like it just tastes like, especially when it's like melted and heated, because it's like has the oils and stuff like dripping off of it, and it, it just always makes me like sick. So like things like that. Like when even when I would get a hamburger and it would have cheese on it. Um, you think you uh, might just be lactose? I, <laughs> no, it's it's the texture. Like I don't like the texture. I don't oh, like the okay, taste. It's it's like the grease and stuff. Um, it's the no, same. I, I, it's the I, I, same I, thing for me with the fat on meat. I like a lot of people love fat on meat. I hate it because I just cannot deal with the texture. Yeah. So anyway, guess do you have any questions about God? <laughs> well, I was wondering. It almost sounded like uh, Chris wanted to go into like pre-sup stuff. I think um, he was trying to poke the bear because we hate those topics because they're so arduous and mind-numbing. Well, I, I had a question because i i think i i know where that question was going um like where do you get your foundation for determining what is moral or not um all right we're in it yeah but i had a question back so i was wondering if um let's say i say it's it's like subjective so i get my morals from um how i determine what is right and wrong how would that be different than a christian who um gets their morals subjectively from god so like god's able to determine what's right and wrong so it's just a subjective preference versus another subjective preference so trying to be as quick as i can but i I have a feeling we're going to be in this for the next 45 minutes i'd say you know even though you say it's subjective the reason i wouldn't say it's subjective is because god doesn't have an equal that could make another subjective decision therefore even though you would say it's subjective because it comes from one being that being is like the ultimate and there is no equal that can offer another subjective opinion. Therefore it's objective. So this being God, uh, you would say subjectively, but Christians believe objectively, uh, you know, dictates what is right and wrong. And although we believe it is objective, Christians will subjectively, uh, you know, we will live up to as best we can, but we will be subjective in how we live up to it. Because again, we are not God. Um, so God gives us subjective morality we just subjectively do our best to live up to this objective morality. Interesting Is enough. I'll oh, go ahead. Interesting enough. I actually taught about this on yesterday in our survey of Romans, Romans 14, which actually deals, the first 11 verses deals with the eating of vegetables only and those who eat meat. Oh. <laughs> So, so that's, is this going to the morality thing, or are you still back it's going on the, to the? It's going. Oh, okay. Well, if you go on Bible, that is moral. True. And I was looking at it, and there are some folks who are morally saying that they want to only eat veg- vegetables. My vegan and vegetarian friend, but then there are some like me who enjoy a steak, who enjoy a slice of ham. But guess what? I enjoy my broccoli. 
I enjoy my spinach, my greens, my cabbage. I, I enjoy it. So I like a blend uh, of both my vegetables and my meats. And I don't feel, I don't feel, um, the word I'm looking for, I don't feel bad about eat, eating both or particular, and I've eaten all vegan meals. Well, Gas, did, did that answer your question? The subjective, objective thing? Um, a little bit. Uh, I guess I almost wanted to go back into the vegan stuff, but I, yeah, I could, we could kind of uh, go back and forth. Well, if that answers yeah. it, go back. <laughs> um, it, I, I mean, I've, I got a lot of stuff to respond, but it depends you're, on which. You're steering this ship. Feel free to drive it right off the edge of the flat Earth if you want. <laughs> All right. Um. Well, I'll just go what was in my head right here. So um, on the veganism stuff, you said like, um, <clears throat> I just, I know a couple of scriptures and, you know, it's never, never a bad time to quote scripture. So in, um, in Daniel, actually, when, um, when the King Nebuchadnezzar captured, I don't know if he captured Daniel or he brought him to him and he, he's the Daniel staying with the King. And it actually says um, the steward agreed to it. Uh, to do it and fed him them vegetables and water for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all the others who had been eating from the royal menu. So this actually suggests that um, that Daniel lived off a vegan lifestyle and he was actually more robust and stronger than the king's men. And so that's Daniel 114 through 20th. Um, so that suggests that vegans are probably going to be stronger and healthier than the meat eaters. I mean, I think for a lot of Christians, it comes down to, you know, what is what is like a, a command? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, for example, I don't think anyone's going to say, you know, uh, you know, eating eating pork, is, eating tons and tons of pork is the way to a very healthful lifestyle with no heart disease. Um, I think a lot of them will say, well, look at the dietary restrictions, you know, in the Old Testament. Look at the Jewish people who for them, it is a command. Um, so, you know, for them, it is a command not to eat pork. But <clears throat> Christians, you know, who have the new covenant can eat pork. But um, it would probably be better health-wise if they didn't. So even though it's not a command not to eat it, you can still see some definite value in, you know, maybe following following some of these dietary laws. Not because it's a command, but because it's just a pretty decent health principle. Like you're not going to be worse off for not diving headfirst in the, you know, pork tenderloins. Um, <laughs> I think most people would agree with that. Um, but then the morality thing, like, you know, I mean, the Bible talks about how you, know, you can basically do what you want regarding food. Um, you know, it gives like a couple things like don't drink blood, don't eat food offered to idols, uh, things like that, which, you know, we don't seemingly have too big of issue with in 2023 America. So, you know, pretty much everything's on the table per God. But then, yeah, I think there's some good benefits on, you know, like gluttony, for example, like, you know, well, that we shouldn't overeat. That actually is a sin. But um, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. Yeah, and I don't I don't think it's like explicitly said like you can't do it, but, but it seems like if you analyze the Bible, especially so like in Revelation, it's it talks about how the the lion's going to lay down with the lamb in uh, Genesis, Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, they were not eating the animals of the garden. They were vegetarian or vegan. So, it seems like the ideal state that God intended is going to be one where we're not slaughtering animals because both in Revelation like at the end of times and right at the beginning of times before the fall, um, it's pretty clear that they're not like killing all these animals and stuff. And it's more of like a union between all the beings.
Yeah, and then you could say, I mean, you know, and, and no animals were also killing each other during that time either. Um, so you could either say, uh, by doing this, it's because of the fall, and, you know, God God is allowing us to, you know, eat whatever we want. Um, and to do otherwise would be, like, prematurely trying to trying to play God and, like, force your way back to a perfect state before the time. Um, or you could look at it as, well, hey, if I don't need this to live, then, you know, I'm not trying to play God. I'm just, you know, trying to be healthy and trying not to kill things that don't need killing. So, I mean, I think there's a pretty good argument on both sides. Well, um, two things real quick. So, gas first. I'm, I'm pretty confident 200 years from now when we have alternative protein sources, we're going to think we were savages for eating as many animals as we did. Um, and apostle, I was always taught that Objective morality for a Christian that has a Holy Spirit has the Holy Spirit is a little bit more straightforward. It boils down to whether or not you feel convicted about something. And real fast, um, faithful. I, I see yeah, an invite. I saw you wanted to. Oh, hang on a second, uh, faithful. I saw you wanted to get up here. Are you able to? Um, let's see who's not. I can bring insane. him up. <laughs> I just gotta say, CEO. Can I make you? Okay, fine, Chris. You can have it too. Um, can, yeah, can someone send an invite to Faithful? It's not letting me invite him up. Okay, doing so now. Oh, uh, and, All right, carry uh, on. See, uh, see you, there we go. CEO, I agree with you because that's what Romans 14 teaches. I'm sorry, who who was the gentleman that was reading Daniel chapter 1, uh, uh, 16? You were. Yeah. What, Why did he like? leave? It shows him. Right here, there he is. There he is. Gas is right there. Okay. He's, he didn't yeah, leave. Someone else that left. So, guess I, I just wanted to ask. You were reading from the Message Bible, correct? I was. Yeah. That Bible is generally considered unreliable. Um, it's more of a paraphrased Bible than it is an actual, um, you know, direct translation from the text itself. So this is the same text. If we uh. If we look at it, it reads as follows. Um, th this isn't even remotely close to being an argument for, for veganism here or, you know, any sort of vegetarianism. Uh, it reads. Here, I'll start at verse. I'll start at 13. No, I'll start at 11. Daniel said to the guard to the Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief of, uh, official had appointed over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So this was a test because they generally had a choice food that they ate, but they wanted to demonstrate that in their not eating their choice food, which would have been meat, since the Israelites ate meat, in fact, one of the biggest festivals, one of the holiest festivals involves the killing of a lamb that the Israelites are supposed to eat and roast. And this is something that God directly commanded to them. You understand me? So if one is going to make the argument about vegetarianism, I don't think one is going to have very much success using the Bible, considering that the Bible itself gives commandments that directly order the slaughtering of animals. In fact, the animal sacrifices themselves uh, were basically done with animals. I mean, the idea here is that the idea here is that the uh, youth were going to show that God was with them 
while they didn't eat the food that they typically ate, the choice food that they typically ate. Because if we continue to read, look what it says. It says, so he agreed to this and tested them for, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It says, so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So what's being done here, it's showing that they didn't need the food that they typically would have eaten to give off the appearance of healthiness. Rather, even if they just ate vegetables, which wouldn't have been in their culture considered very healthy, they were still going to look healthier than the people in the royal court of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who were eating all the food that they desired because it was to show them that God was with them. It was uh, meant to be a miraculous event. So when you uh, quoted that, I wouldn't use that as a uh, proof text. I mean, uh, you you are a Christian, uh, Gas, or are you non-Christian? Just out of curiosity. I'm an atheist. You're an atheist. Okay. It's going to be relatively impossible to argue for uh, some sort of veganism from the biblical text, yeah, given I, that I, there's so much there in the you know the text, given that it's an ancient or east text. You are, I yeah, I, I, I already stated that. I don't know okay. if it is. I mean, like, you, I'm sure you've heard a lot of the teachings and a lot of practicing of the Daniel fast. I mean, that's actually like a popular thing. And on can, I, can I ask that, you a question? Are you are you familiar with ancient Near East text? Hold on, a second. hold on, God. let me just say one more thing. No, no, but I'm just asking: Are you familiar with ancient Near East text since you butted in, and I was talking the gas? Okay, Doc, I'll remain silent. Well, for the record, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking you a question. If you're familiar with how ancient Near East societies fed themselves. Because if I you're arguing, familiar, I have some familiarity. Yes, uh-huh. you have some familiarity, so you would be aware that in the case of the ancient Israelites, their festivals incorporate the very thing that vegans are against, which is the eating of animals. Correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think it's a fair point to say I, that things like the Daniel fast and you know fruits and not eating pork and their dietary laws. Yes, it can go to a healthy lifestyle, but I I agree that's a good point you make, faithful. That to say it completely promotes veganism. I mean, you know, there is a ton of animals that died every sacrifice. So, I mean, you know, you can say, well, just because you're eating vegetables for a time or just because you're abstaining from certain types of meat or shellfish or things like that, you can't say it uh, advocates for veganism because just look at some of the sacrifices. Um, so Yeah, well, it, it would just show gross ignorance of the world from the end of the, the people who are arguing this way, given what we had. Like, for example, one of the oldest cultures in the ancient Near East, the Neftufians. They're one of the oldest civilizations. The Neftufian culture, you can look that up, uh, Neftufians. That's one of the oldest cultures that was in the land of Israel. Uh, In the settlement that they had, that they dug up in the excavations, they found pork bones there. Uh, This is before the ancient Israelites, by the way. Uh, So these people were clearly eating animals in that region. Uh, All these ancient Near East societies would have been eating animals. Well, I, I mean, that was like the normative yeah, I practice. Wasn't, I wasn't arguing against that. I was simply going to say that another way you could interpret this scripture is that God will favor those who make sacrifices, right? And so if someone decides to, like, make a sacrifice in their life, they can still be blessed. So a, so a vegetarian lifestyle can still be blessed. So that's all I was going to say. And, well, let's and get also, the guy. And, and, oh. and, 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 and just lastly, um, 
like we the Israelites had to eat animals because it was a protein source, right? Originally, that wasn't a concern because the human body was perfect. So one could argue also the ideal state is to not eat animals if you can find another protein alternative. Well, let's get the guy who's who's actually talking to to respond. <laughs> Guess. Right. There's a lot said. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think he was just, I, I don't know who he was talking, because I didn't, I didn't say like the, the, the Bible like commands veganism or anything. So I, I already agree with everything. I don't know what he, who he was talking to. Well, I, I was taking it that you felt that the Bible, while not necessarily advocating for veganism, tended to have a favorable view of veganism. I would say that that sort of viewpoint would kind of be yeah. within the biblical corporea would kind of be abnormal to the ancient Israelite mindset. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think you're you maybe mistook what I was saying because I'm not saying like the Bible promotes veganism or anything. I'm saying there are specific verses. So like the verse with Daniel, um, it does say. I think I get what you're saying where it's the point of them eating vegetables, like being able to sustain themselves on vegetables, is that they're like filled with the power of God, and so that that is kind of what the verse is saying. But um, yeah, so I <clears throat> I I can agree with what you're saying, but yeah, I'm not saying the Bible promotes veganism. I was just making the points that it seems like in the ideal state, in the original state, and also in the end times, um, there's not going to be slaughtering of all these animals. So it seems like that's more of an idealized state. That's all I'm saying. So in the yeah, bigger I, I picture, say one that way or another, everyone's going to be vegan at some point, even Chris and Bubby. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, I do want to say that in the, uh, the, the book of Genesis also doesn't, I know that there are people who are vegan who like to point to the book of Genesis and try to angle for that. But um, when one looks at the Hebrew text, that becomes virtually impossible. And I understand uh, to the brother CEO, I know that you take a, a viewpoint of uh, when it talks about man's perfection. It, it just becomes difficult to have that perspective when you're reading the Hebrew. And uh, there, there's a ton of paper by you know scholars who have talked about this, you know, scholars who both have a vested interest in defending the Bible and those who don't have a vested interest, and they're both concluding. Um, that the text actually does promote the idea of Adam and Eve um, eating perhaps animals. Uh, it, it even uses the word for when it talks about having dominion. <laughs> I know that that's a polite way of putting it in the uh, English. If you look at the Hebrew, though, it has more of a violent connotation, like like subjugation, like the way that you would subjugate an animal when you kill an animal. Because it's used throughout the biblical text in that fashion, like when a uh, nation subjugates another nation and has, quote unquote, dominion over it, um, it, it's meant to be used in a more violent context than it is, uh, you know, and I understand that there are brothers and sisters who may take a, because uh, I know that this is a popular viewpoint, especially in evangelical circles, I'm evangelical, but I tend to disagree with this viewpoint based on what the Hebrew text is saying. But um, but I understand that, you know, your conviction is to read it that way. So I just wanted to say, though, no, I will agree that in the end, yes, yeah, certainly there's going to be peace. There's not going to be the need for any of these things that we use for substance today. But uh, but I wouldn't use Genesis to try to argue for that point. Wait, can you give any like specific passages? Because you said it's different in the Hebrew. What what specific passages do you think? Um... Yeah, I can actually uh, pull them up in a moment. But the. Uh, the relevant word that's used for having dominion over the animals is the same word 
that's in the Hebrew that's used for violently subjugating, uh, you know, for example, in the biblical text, when one culture it's described as violently subjugating another through like violent means, that word is consistently used in the biblical text in that fashion to indicate like a violent subjugation, not a uh, uh, passive subjugation. And real quick, um, Nate, are you okay if Jay comes up? Yeah, I was going to ask if someone can invite him because, again, it's not letting me. Uh, I did. Ignore you, FJ. Oh, you did? Okay. And by the way, hey, Connie, hey, Patricia and Catherine and everyone else, welcome. Um, and yeah, so the violent subjugation, even if we, you know, even if we concede to that, which I don't really have a stake in this fight at this point, but I would say, you know, if you, quote, violently can subjugate these things, that doesn't automatically mean eat their guts out. I mean, that could be, you know, putting them to a yoke, making them, you know, plow a field or, you know, doing any, anything else, um, even, even like chopping them up and using them for clothes. Um, so, I mean, you know, you could extrapolate that to eating them, um, but you don't have to go there. Well, I, I think the biblical text dictates that we read, uh, for example, the offering of Cain and Abel, uh, being that it's used in an agricultural uh, sense within the biblical text, uh, given the fact that uh, Abel's offering was literally burnt offerings, or the fact that when uh, Noah and his sons got off of the ark, they offered up burnt offerings to God, um, given that with the idea of burnt offerings, a lot of these offerings were sometimes eaten by the cultures. And you can see this even, well, if you, if just, so, so I give an example in the new Testament, when it talks about not eating the things sacrificed to idols, that relevant practice, uh, you can find that culturally in the ancient Near East, you can find it uh, in other cultures uh, uh, close to the ancient Near East. So the idea is that when you offered up a sacrifice to the uh, relevant God, you ate the sacrifice. Now, the people of the Bible are clearly not to eat the sacrifices given to you know, foreign gods, false gods, whether the New Testament or the Old Testament. In both Testaments, it's the same concept. Um, the idea is that once you kill the animal and you offer it for sacrifice, um, you eat the sacrifice. The sacrifice doesn't go to waste. You understand me? I, I can give you some papers on that one, too, by the way, Nate, if you're interested. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, sure. I mean, more knowledge is good, but I mean, I don't think we need that. I think at this point we're we're beating a dead horse. Like everyone agrees. Like we're we're all agreeing. Like you know, the Bible. If you take some of the things that people commonly say promotes veganism, you could say at least it promotes you know maybe not eating some things or doing some things because you know you'll generally be healthier because of it, and not have heart disease by the time you're forty. Um, but to say it promotes veganism also is not correct because there is tons of stuff dying and being eaten all through scripture. Um, so right. I think we're, we're all just saying the same thing, but some of the new people, uh, is there anyone, did FJ ever come up? Oh, oh real quick, just I, to I, that I, point, I, Nate, just what? briefly to that one point. I, and I, th I'm sure you probably brought this up when I wasn't in the room because, um, I mean, and this is a good passage to speak to what you're saying. Cause I do agree uh, in, in, with what you're saying there. Uh, Romans 14, when it says one person believes they can eat all things, one person only eats vegetables. And it says, let them both be convinced in their minds. So as the Christian, if a person wants to be a vegan, you're perfectly fine to be a Christian and be, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying it like in general to the you know people in the audience, it's, it's okay for a person to be a Christian and be a vegan. That's, that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm only speaking to the idea that there are particular passages that speak to veganism. And I would certainly disagree with that. Um, I, I don't believe the Bible takes that kind of stance. I mean, the New Testament gives the liberty for people to eat 
or not eat what they choose to, you know. Yeah, but, I totally uh, agree. And then if someone tries to yeah. teach it as a command one way or another, like you must eat meat, that's wrong. Or you must abstain from meat, that's wrong. Like, you know, FJ puts uh, Genesis 9-3, any living creature that moves about shall be yours to eat. Uh, I give all to you uh, as I did the green plants. Which, funny, people also make that excuse for pot, saying the green plants means, you know, smoke weed. Uh, but, yeah, to say to say that's a command that you must eat any living creature, well, no, that's wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, I mean, it's ultimately it's Romans 14. Like, if you feel convicted and you do or don't do something and you violate your conviction led by the Holy Spirit, for that person, that is sin. Um, Gas, did you have a final thought on this matter? Yeah, I was just re- reading... Because um, it seems, do you guys, are you guys a fan of Answers in Genesis? Because it seems like Answers in Genesis. I'm, I'm not a fan of Answers in Genesis at all, actually. All right. I, I'm not super familiar with it. I, I mean, I know what it is, love, but I'm not super. Familiar. That's uh, Kent Ham's website. Ugh. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know that much. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, a, not a, I'm not scholarly. a fan of Kent Ham. I'm not a and fan of his stuff. Yeah, it's very scholarly. Well, where are you guys? No, his, his, his website promotes People, a lot of. Hold on a second, bro. You've talked for like 30 minutes. I'm trying to hear what the other guy is saying. Yeah. Did you well, have so there's, like um, a passage you found? Yeah, well, Answers in Genesis, they've actually got a whole article here on it with a bunch of footnotes, and it's very scholarly. It's got a lot of uh, resources and stuff on it. But um, I can link this as well in the chat. But it says. Um, it says, it, this is the conclusion of the, so this is a whole page, but this is the conclusion of it. One thing is certain, God intended his animal creation to be vegetarian. He communicated this clearly in Genesis 1.30. This raises the interesting problem that anyone who believes that God used evolution or any naturalistic means. So it basically just concludes that um, he thinks that that originally they were meant to be vegetarian. So um I'm not, and I'm not a biblical scholar. So I honestly don't. Real quick, uh, yeah. So I have a scholar, Doctor Ben Stanhope, yes, who actually debunked. What he was saying. Yeah. Okay. Guess well, so yeah, I can just I can link this. You you may have a scholar, but this is a resource that includes. Oh no, I have more than one scholar. I'm just telling you the name of the scholar, but there's like more than just him. For the record, I'm sure, actually going to mention other scholars besides him. All right, so Steph, how's your I'd vegan like to journey going, stuff for you. I'd, I'd like to give a meta-analysis of, I think, what Gas is saying. All right, so, Faithful, do you disagree that in the Garden of Eden, they're vegetarian, no and in Revelations, will be vegetarian? No one disagrees with that. Okay, great. Then, oh, no, I certainly disagree is, with the idea that they were vegetarians in the Garden of Eden, finish, like, just for I the record. I'll be quiet. I promise I'll be quiet. If that is the ideal state of humanity in the Garden of Eden and in Revelation, then it seems odd to suggest that that wouldn't be the ideal state, except for since we're in a fallen world, we need protein sources, so we eat animals as a protein source. If there are alternative protein sources, then that need would go away. So I'm saying it's a sin or anything like that. But basically, if that's the ideal state, do you believe or do you not believe that we should work towards our ideal state? Uh, CEO, are you are you a vegetarian or anything? I eat Shake Shack, Five Guys, and so no, I'm not arguing from a position <laughs> of being a vegetarian. <laughs> I was wondering, Steph, how's your uh, journey to veganism? Oh, never. No, that's not for me. No. I like the PTR. That's funny. Isn't that hilarious? Yes. My wife loves the Chiefs, and I shared her the one with the Mahomes and the Karen here. That got me a frowny <laughs> face. 
<laughs> what a baby! Did you man, see? Man, <laughs> no, because I, 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 man, I got into it for a while. Um, you know, when Mahomes was new, and I'm like, wow, football doesn't suck anymore because it was like really entertaining. But then I, I fell off really hard because I was never really into like watching sports because I'm like, these people have more money than they'll ever know what to do with. They'll never know who I am. Why do I care if they can do, you know, some superfluous game well? Like, oh, you know, go be, go, be a, go be a war hero or something. Like, you know, save a bunch of kids from burning buildings. Anyway, so I, I just don't have a very favorable <laughs> outlook on, you know, uh, things like that. So maybe it's because I'm not them and I don't have more money than I have to do with. So maybe I'm, I'm jealous. Instead of coming from like a moral high horse, it's really from petty jealousy. Regardless, um, no, the Chiefs, I, I started, it, it was too tense. Because like they would usually manage to squeak out a victory, but it became so like nail biting. I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys suck so bad. They would just blow play after play after play, and then barely they would manage to squeak out a win. I'm like, this is too much, man. They are not a great team. They're just a lucky team. So no, I, I stopped watching it completely. Well, then you missed this glorious moment where Josh Allen went in for a hug, and Mahomes just like. Bleep bleep bleep! Nasty call, bitch. It was, it was, and Josh Allen was just left standing there, like, oh, okay. I heard he had <laughs> to do an fine. apology to her. You know, Steph. The worst part of that is that if you are an Eagles fan, you remember the referees made a call in the Super Bowl that benefited <laughs> the Chiefs significantly, and so for him to come and talk about, oh, like we need to let the players decide the game. And clearly the guy was offside, was very rich, very hypocritical. And I just, that's like the first time ever I wanted to literally slap a football player. Yeah, I want to slap the entire that, state of Alabama. Hey, guess I it was a good that, talk. But I don't know if you had to go or not, but I just saw your message. Uh, I'm here. I was just, just closing out the veganism stuff in the chat. It's a good discussion. I appreciate it. If you have anything else, bring it up. Everybody pray for the only... downfall of Alabama. You're the only non-Christian, I think, on stage, except Bubby sometimes. Yeah, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to go Listen, back into your... All I'm saying is that I'm praying for the damnation of Alabama. Go back where, Guess? Um, back to what we were talking about before, about like who dictates morality. Um, and just give you a response to that, because I think I still remember what you said to me. Um, so you're saying, you're saying God gives these commands and they become... Um, so yeah, I guess I'm a little, I'm still a little bit shaky on, on how that, that matters. So, so if God gives you a command, how does that make an objective versus God's subjective opinion? Well, because God, even though God is one single being, I believe since there is no equal that effectively makes that singular subjective being objective. So like you couldn't say that about me or you because, you know, we're equal, we're both humans. Um, it doesn't matter if someone's a little has a higher IQ or lower IQ. We're, we're still on the same level of existence as humanity. So there's all kinds of subjectivity. So no one human can make an objective statement because we have plenty of equals and plenty of challengers. Uh, God would not be like that. There is no equal. So even though someone could say, well, it's subjective because it's coming from him, because there's no one that can challenge him on an equal level. Um, that's why I believe it's objective. So objectively, it's his creation. He's the creator. He is God. Therefore, what he says objectively is right or wrong. Okay, there might be an equivocation where here between or in, uh, on the word objective, if you want to define that. So what I, I mean by objective is it's true 
if there were no minds in existence. So like the mountain existing is an objective fact because it, the mountain would exist if there were no minds to exist. So that's the term I'm using, but you might be using something different. So maybe if you if you define objective for me. Um, well, I so it's a little hard. So I would say before we take God out of, out of the equation, so like, you know, if God says something is right or wrong, morally speaking, not physically like a mountain, but if God says, you know, this thing is is wrong, it's a sin. Um, it's not de dependent on any other person or thing or animal or anything to be in existence. That thing is still wrong. But then if you want to say, well, God's mind still counts. So what if you take God's mind out of it? Philosophically, I could kind of get what you're saying, but it's just a, a non-issue because if you take God's mind out of it, then nothing exists. There is no right or wrong. There is there is nothing. Nothing exists without God. So it's kind of like I, I want to to play in that sandbox. But you just can't. It, it would break it because by the time you say, "Well, now you you only, you've got rid of all the other minds. Now you just have to take God out of it to find out if it's truly objective." Well, you just can't do that because you you can't have anything if God's not around sustaining it. Um, hope that makes sense. Sure. It seems to me it still seems like that's subjective. So if if God, yeah. So like if God says X is wrong, um, but then. God doesn't exist, then X could be wrong or right. So it seems like it only depends on his subjective opinion, um, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, I've defined my terms. So, I mean, if you, if you want to say, well, that's how Nate defines objective objectivity as it relates to God, but, uh, you know, I hear what he's saying. So I will instead take his definition of terms and know that that's what Nate means, but I'm going to choose to label that uh, subjective with a few caveats. And that would be fine. Because essentially we're saying the same exact thing because um, we both defined our terms. So even though I say that's my view of objectivity, you could say, well, no, 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 that's really subjectivity with a few caveats. And I mean, that's fine as long as we're talking about the same thing. Man, uh, Nate, I love that answer. Yeah, that's you, I think you're you're good at like kind of seeing seeing the playing field and everything and, and dissecting it. So that's good. But um, so I have a question here. Do you think would it. Um, <clears throat> so. So can God change? So like if God said murder is wrong, could he um, tomorrow say murder is right and then it would be a good thing? In theory, yes. In reality, um, that can never happen, again, from the Christian worldview, because, you know, his the Bible says, you know, he's the same today, yesterday and forever. So there will never be a time in which God ever would do that. But if he did, then yes. But that can never happen again, because that would mean God would change. And if God changed, he's not God. Therefore, he wouldn't exist and nothing would exist. We can't have this conversation because nothing exists. So in theory, yes. In reality, no. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, <laughs> it seems, I don't know, to me, um, I don't know. It just seems most people, when they think of something objective, they, they think of something that like um, is true no matter what. So if it just depends on a, an opinion of, of a being then that seems like a subjective preference. So I guess it's a little bit of a loop, but I guess we could just end it there. Well, well, again, I wouldn't disagree with that though, because it, it, again, when, when we say opinion, it's not like you know, opinion like, well, you know, it, it's an opinion that could change today or an opinion that could change tomorrow. It's more like you know, the the um, like I, I don't know, I, I'm not a legal scholar, but like the opinion of a court. So if the court gives an opinion and precedent, that typically doesn't change, yet it's called an opinion. So it's like even you want to say, well, it's an opinion of God. So he could change his mind. That's where we get back to theoretically, yes. But when we say God's you know, opinion, that's an opinion that's a stake in the ground that is never going to move. 
So when we talk about God's opinion of what is right and wrong, you may as well replace it with the word fact. Because if it did change, then sure. But it will never change, you know, under the Christian worldview. So you can say, you know, what God says about murder is an opinion because it's God, you know, it's his subjective will and all this other stuff. But under the Christian worldview, the reality of the situation is God says something is right and God says something is wrong is wrong. And this is a fact because he will never say anything other than that. Okay. I'll just give you one more. This so this this is the bullet you have to bite with this view. So um I know I understand what you're saying in reality. Um this might this probably wouldn't happen or it might not happen, but um just the point of this question is just to determine whether you're logically consistent. So I'm just testing the boundaries of your consistency. So if tomorrow we had a decree from God that said killing babies is a good thing, would you then go out and kill babies because it's a good thing? So let me just start by saying the official position of the Ask a Christian Room is don't kill babies. Um, so again, in theory, yes, but in reality, if I ever heard some some voice or you know found an uncovered scroll or you know anything like that that was supposedly from God, um, and it seemed really, really credible, not like a forger or anything like that. Well, under the Christian worldview, um, that would be wrong. I would have to attribute that to, you know, like some sort of human malevolence or evil or demons or something like that. Because what we do have, you know, from God says he will never change. Um, so, again, in theory, if he's like, hey, eat the hearts of babies, this is what I decree. Um, I have to call that anything other than God because this God will never do that. If he did, again, back to the beginning. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't exist. Nothing would exist. This universe would implode. Um, so I mean, we kind of get to have our cake and eat it too. So, you know, if God's like, I'm God, eat babies. But our God would never do that. I gotcha. All right. I think that's that's a tough bullet to bite there. I think we could maybe argue, is there any, um, is there any, do you, would you deny that like God has ever changed his mind, like in the Bible or anything? Um, I would say, you know, the things in the Bible, like where it's anthropomorphizing God, where it says, you know, God repents, um, you know, because there's also scriptures that say, you know, God doesn't regret or repent in the same way man does. So, you know, there's those things to counter it. So it's really get the author's intent. So when it says God regretted making mankind or God, you know, repented of certain things, that doesn't mean uh, the same thing as when we repent and we feel like great remorse and godly sorrow and things like that. And, you know, we people would do like sackcloth and ashes and all that. That's very different than when it says God did it, just like when, you know, we say Jesus is the son of God. That has a very different meaning than when we say, like, you know, if you or I have kids and it's like, well, they're the son of gas or they're the son of Nate. Like that has a very different meaning than when we say Jesus is the son of God, because, you know, Christian worldview, we believe Jesus is God. So there are certain things that you have to use, like human words. Otherwise, you just you, you can't even start to comprehend it. So that's why I would say. So whenever you see the passages in the Bible, like son of God, that doesn't mean son of God, just like son of Nate or son of, you know, Lisa or something like that. Um, it, it has a different meaning. Um, so when it says God repents or God regrets, that's that's very different than when humans do it. But we have to assign certain words to it. Otherwise, we're just like, well, let's just leave this page blank. OK, so it sounds like um, you think it's it's not. Not possible in reality for God to change his mind, but it's not like logically impossible. Um, if I, I, I want to say yes, if I get where you're going, but yeah, the, the point is God, 
like you have to put yourself in like a Marvel multi Marvel multiverse or something. Because if God was going to change his mind, he would have previously changed his mind. But by the time we have it written down in papers or scrolls, um, you can't say God changed his mind because God always would have known he's changing his mind. So like look in the Bible about like the whole history of the Israelites, right? Like where they're constantly rebelling against him, going after idols, repenting, turning back to him. And he's always like, hey, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you repent, then I'll heal your land. If you rebel, then I'll you know send you into captivity. God, God's not having this like in real time, like, oh, I'm surprised. All right, let's wait and see what they do. Are they going to do what I say? Like we believe Christian worldview, God always knows the end from the beginning. So even though the story goes, if you do this, then I will do this. Like God already knows how many back and forths would happen. Like he, he's already been there, seen that from, from the beginning of time, whenever that was. Um, so again, it's, it's different than how humans would have that conversation. Like, you know, gas, if you do that, then I'll do that. I have no idea what you're going to do versus God's like, yeah, I always knew exactly what you're going to do. I gotcha. I think it actually, now that I think of it, um, it would not, it doesn't seem actually unreasonable or something that couldn't happen in reality that God could change his mind on a moral decree because he's actually done this in the past through the, the, uh, like the fulfillment of the old law and having and transferring to the new law. So it does actually seem like it could happen in reality where God could change his moral decrees, right? Well, I would say, and then I'll, I'll shut up here in a minute and let some other people talk. But I would say, I saw CEO in mute. Um, but I, I would say, again, you know, is it changing mind or is it a lo logical progression? Like, you know, there's a time before the law. So would you, you can't really say God changed his mind when before the law. Then he says, OK, now I'm going to give you the law, 613 commandments. And then that's going to be fulfilled in Jesus. Then you're, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you're not going to be beholden to these 613 laws. Now you're going to follow the law of the Holy Spirit who lives with you and guides you into all truth. So it, it wouldn't be right to say he changed his mind at each of those iterations. It would be like he always known this is the way, like, you know, Revelation 21, 6 or 7, I think, talks about, you know, the lamb that was slain. J Jesus is also called the lamb before the foundation of the world. So God already tells us the end from the beginning. So to say he changed his mind wouldn't be correct. It would be like, well, God always knew there was going to be a time before the law, during the law, and after the law. This is just a progression. Um, sure. That, I mean, I think that, see, I'll just shut up after this real quick. Um, I, that was just in reference to, um, I was saying like, tomorrow, let's say we had a new decree where he said killing babies is good. I, this is all hypothetical. Obviously, this room doesn't condone any of that. Um, but you said that would be like an impossibility because it would make him not God and stuff. But he already did change his moral decrees at one point. So it, it's not out of the question that tomorrow he could say, all right, it's now moral to kill babies, right? Um, that'd be interesting to talk about. I, I, I think we're going to disagree on, on the changing mind thing. Like, I think we're just going to be an impasse there because he always knew this was going to happen. So he always knew everything was going to follow our progression. So even if we see it, do you have an example you're thinking of? Like, are you talking about how one of the laws would be done away with or something like that? And now how yeah, it's well, I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm not, yeah, I, I agree with the changing mind stuff. So I'm not talking about changing mind anymore. I'm just talking about um, the idea <clears throat> that morals are subjective and that he could change. Um, maybe he knew about it all along. So maybe it's not subjective in that way, but maybe in a week or so, it's now the new law where like killing babies is good or some something we see as bad, like stealing is now going to be good in this new decree. So it's not I don't think it's out of the question to say that, like, <clears throat> um, 
that he could make a new law where things we find immoral right now are going to become moral. And so that's that's kind of the bullet that I was kind of seeing if you'd buy it. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I guess well, I, I promise this will be the last thing. <laughs> CEO, we're going right to you. Uh, the, the last thing I would say about that would would be uh, I just lost my train of thought. Hang on, I'm going to get it back. Um, goodness, what was I saying? Oh yeah, okay. So even even if that was even if that were the case, um, you know, with the New Testament, you know, we have a, a fi- like the Bible claims it. So you know, we have a finalized thing saying that you know. Um, this is basically it until the end of time. So the the guide, the new covenant, is going to be how it is infinitely forever. So again, we're back to theory versus reality. In theory, you know, if God's like, yeah, I give you a new decree. Well, I mean, that would have to be like a false prophet or antichrist or something like that. Because, you know, our Bible says, like in, in the, um, whenever there's a law, there is all kinds of prophecies during the law talking about the Messiah and everything like this and how everything was going to be changing. So it was not going to be keeping the law that uh, gets you on God's good side, it's going to be believing and following this Messiah. So it told us, even when there was the law for these Israelite people, that things were going to change. Um, in the new covenant now, nothing is going to change. It's only by belief in Christ and following you know, God's law, which is the law of the Spirit, which is now never going to change, never going to pass away. Um, so again, if God could change his mind, in theory, sure. Uh, but in reality, under the Christian worldview, that is never going to happen because the scripture says it's never going to happen. Uh, so it's back to theory versus reality. CEO. Yeah. So um, I, I just wanted to amplify Nate's point and maybe say it a slightly different way. So um, gas, if God from the beginning knew it was going to be X, then Y, then Z, and he's known that for, let's just say 13 billion years to make up a number then would you really calling it, quote unquote, changing his mind? I think we have to differentiate between how we are experiencing things because we experience time differently than God versus like how God is is operating. So I just wanted to see if that makes a little more sense to you or what perspective you have on that. Yeah, I was I was a little bit trying to uh, like go away from the changing his mind stuff in regard to the moral stuff. I was trying to separate those a little bit, but um, yeah, we could go. I guess changing the mind stuff, we could go into a slightly different conversation. But I I'm not super read up on on this sort of stuff or experienced with it. Um, so I could probably just yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about the changing the mind stuff, so I could grant that. Well, um, everyone else has been really quiet. Faithful, you've been quiet a while, and Steph, I don't, have you actually said, uh, yeah, you said a little bit this morning. Do you have any thoughts or any other direction to go? No? Wonderful. How about you, Faithful? Do you have any quick thoughts on this, and we'll see if there is another topic? Tactical's asking what the topic is. Feel free to join us, Tactical, if you like. And I have a different topic if no one else does. I didn't think, like, um... If <laughs> this is something I've never made sense of is like God, it almost, CEO, you almost suggested, you didn't quite say it, but it almost sounded like um, you said something like God doesn't like cohere to like normal time or sometimes Christians will say like he's yeah. outside of time or something like that. But I've never quite understood what does it actually mean? How can you be outside of time and what does that actually mean? Well, okay. So it just basically means that if you think about time, as we experience it, that began with the Big Bang, right? 
Um, we have no concept of time prior to that. And if God is all knowing, then it basically means God would see the entire timeline, all of existence simultaneously. So everything that happens in the future is something he already knows. So there's no need for him to like pivot real time because he already knew X and that this would happen, right? So it's already done from his perspective. So that's what we mean by saying that. Whereas we experience time sequentially, God would not be experiencing time sequentially. That's the idea. Okay. This definitely, this gets very quickly into a topic that I don't know much about, which is like physics, but it seems like, like if we say time is something like, um, like amount of change over a period um, it seems like if you're like outside of time or something, like you wouldn't have, like you wouldn't have any thoughts or you wouldn't be able to make any change or something like, it seems like stuff gets really wacky if you actually like think God is outside of time. Um, well, there, there's also more dimensions to it than that. Right. Because I mean, Jesus, you know, was very much inside of time living and being, it's like all encompassing, but again, he's not like, just because we believe God, you know, is outside of time, you know, controlling everything. Well, God is also in like omniscient everywhere, right? So when we say God is out time, that's kind of like the macro, like just to cut to the end. It's like, look, God doesn't have to play in our timeline. He's above that. But I mean, he is also in that. Like, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you know, very much interact with this timeline. So God is just everywhere. Everywhere that something is, God is in that. So inside time, outside time, simultaneously, like just ev everywhere, all encompassing. Okay, so it sounds like a little something different, because I think I think if you're outside of time, like I think time is required for having any thought processes or having any decision making. Um, so I think if he was truly outside of time, there would be no creation because you wouldn't time, be able to have time as thoughts. we experience it. Yes. So when we're saying that we're talking about time as we experience it. Okay. All right. Because, so because we don't we don't have any concept for time out of the way we know it post big bang we don't know what time was like or if there's a concept of time prior to the bit we just don't know right there's no way of knowing all right fair enough if anyone had any st stuff to say this is a fun discussion anyone else down there have anything feel free to jump up on stage if you like um, so, Nate, I did have one thought. Uh, you oh, yeah, you had a new topic. Yeah. Right? So in terms of this idea of, you know, like the New Testament is permanent, I mean, couldn't you make the case that like the Revelations is basically like a prophecy at the end and it doesn't go into much detail? And would it be unreasonable to expect that we'll essentially get a new covenant post the events of Revelation? Well, no, they're... they're is no new covenant. Like the next thing that happens is we just, you know, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's it. Like it already tells us the ending. So it already tells us what's going to happen. So we just stay in this, uh, in this like stasis in this holding pattern, you know, with the new covenant. And that's how it ends in our resurrected glorified bodies. Like in heaven, we believe that's it. And, like and we're not going to we get another we don't have any guidebook. Well, no, there is no guidebook. We're going to, you know, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we're not going to get like a, a new, new covenant like this. This is it. You believe in Jesus. You have faith in Jesus. You follow him. And then you hang out with, you know, where your maker is forever.
What's up, Chris? Are you in faithful having a fruitful discussion? I saw you disagreed about something. Yeah, no, we we were just having a disagreement that, you know, the brother Chris and I, we're, we're, you know, good friends. And um, so is it, is, is it all right if I put it on the table, Chris, or I, I don't want to put anything on the table that you don't want me to put on the table? Put it on the table. Okay. So Chris and I are having a discussion on um, methodology, right? So I, I was pointing out to him that uh, basically it's not wrong to uh, get a viewpoint if it's a consistent viewpoint within academia, scholarship, um, and more specifically uh, Christian academia when it comes to a particular topic and saying, well, this person doesn't agree with my viewpoint, therefore pagan or, you know, the uh, a particular seminary teaching this is pagan, therefore you know, we can't use anything that comes from that place uh, would then fundamentally contradict what the Bible itself does. Um, Paul quotes uh, three pagan poets and their pagan poems, um, two of which were directly uh, attributed to Zeus originally. Now, he's not giving glory to Zeus. He's taking the glory away from Zeus and giving it to Yahweh. But the idea is that if we were going to be consistent and say, well, anytime we use something that comes from like a disbeliever or, or something like that, it, it can't be trusted by that criteria. Then Paul is somehow committing this act of uh, a blasphemy because he's quoting uh, Greek poetry from pagan Greek poets who didn't share his belief in the God of Israel. And I think that the problem is that one, you know, when I'm quoting these scholars, I don't agree with all their conclusions. I don't think any one of us is going to agree linearly with every single thing somebody says. I think the the adage, and I was telling him, eat the meat, spit out the bones applies, right? You know, there are things that we can grab that are useful, that I don't think violate essential doctrine in scripture. And then there are things that I believe um, are indisputable, like the Trinity, for example, right? Like, I don't think Chris and I would ever agree with a scholar or a series of scholars who said something to the effect of the Trinity is is false or something like that. But if uh, you know I'm reading something about Genesis and it's relevant to the society, you can find it within the biblical text itself, it's consistent. I don't think it's wrong to say, well, you have this one guy who doesn't agree linearly with all of Chris's viewpoints um, that we need to dismiss him because he doesn't agree linearly or he has aberrant beliefs elsewhere, therefore dismiss his work. Because that's an example of the genetic fallacy. So I was just pointing out to him that we eat the meat and spit out the bones. And obviously discernment is necessary whenever we deal with these things as, uh, you know, Christians who have true conviction and are led by the Holy Spirit. You had the whole conversation yeah, in chat I just mean, now? Hold on. Let, let me make sure I can warm my hands by the, by the straw man. Okay. Ah. Yeah. It's a little cold out today. I just got to, you got that, you got that firmly burned down. That was great. So, um, yeah, that's, that's not my argument at all. Um, my argument is that uh, Paul was using pagan philosophers just simply as an intro. He wasn't buying in, you know, to Zeus being God. Um, and when we talk about, you know, atheist Near East scholars like Leo J. Oppenheim, and we take his conclusions and then we paint, you know, a little bit of Christianity over Oppenheim's conclusions, we come out with John Walton. It, it's simply it's simply 19th century literary criticism by a different name. And, you know, when when we're talking about, say, for instance, a literal Adam, people think that John Walton 
takes a literal atom. I literally have a book on my nightstand where he denies a literal atom. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I, there's just all kinds of problems with getting our theology from non-Christians um, and drawing conclusions about Mosaic authorship, drawing conclusions about, um, you know, the, these types of, of 19th century literary critique arguments again from fringe seminaries and i will include fuller and princeton as fringe liberal seminaries that are no longer christian in any sense um, and so it's not the genetic fallacy or fruit from a poison tree and to be honest there's so much good scholarship out there that doesn't that isn't laced with arsenic of liberal criticism um, that that we can just go to that we don't really need to eat the meat and spit out the bones from a bunch of, you know, essentially atheist scholars and then Christians painting a thin veneer of Christianity, you know, over atheist scholarship. I just, I, that's my problem with it. I mean, and again, I'm not a fan of Walton. I'm not a fan of Heiser, um, you know, and that's sort of my issue. Chris, I, I appreciate the response, but that is a textbook example of the genetic fallacy that you just committed there. Yeah, no, no, it's wait, not. Wait, wait, no, wait, wait, Chris. I have, a Chris. I have a problem with Wait, hold on, Chris. You got to, you got to, hold on, Nate. Faithful. I'm not going to let you just tell me that I'm doing a genetic fallacy. I, I know, but this isn't your, this isn't your time to speak though, Chris. I, I sat there and I listened to you, so you have to offer me the same courtesy. So, Chris, I think the issue is that you are strawmanning me now because I never said, oh, Walton's view on Adam needs to be taken as the Bible. We need to accept every, because that's literally what I didn't say. I literally told you that there are things that Walton holds to that are aberrant that we don't have to agree with. But on the points that he makes that are valid, that doesn't contradict, I'm going to say it again, because I, I fear that this is going to be missed one more time. On the points that he, he lays out that do not contradict essential doctrine, we can agree if we see it consistently laid out in scripture. And I do think that Walton offers great insight into other areas that have nothing to do with his personal opinion about Adam. I think the problem is that if you're saying something comes from a particular place or it comes from a particular individual, therefore... Uh, just toss out the baby with the bathwater, that becomes problematic. I think we can have discernment as Christians for those of us who have the Holy Spirit, which you do and I do. I think the issue is that if you're going to make this bad argument, and I think it's a terrible argument, actually, Chris, then by the same criteria, I use the example of Paul and the Greek poets. While Paul is not endorsing, and I never said he endorsed their viewpoints, I said quite the opposite. I said he's taking away the glory from Zeus and giving it to Yahweh. But you know what's interesting, though, Chris? There are instances where he quotes the Greek poets, and he's using, for example, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good manners or good morals. He's literally quoting Thais, the, the, the poem from Menander. Menander was a pagan Greek poet. He's quoting that, and he's applying the wisdom of that literature to the audience that he's speaking to. Now, does that mean he endorses Menander and everything he holds to? Of course not. 
But the point that he's conveying is not only something that you can find in Menander, it's also a general principle while not verbatim laid out in scripture. It's a principle found within scripture. All he's doing is giving, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that Menander is saying something that's true. Uh, he's giving it credit while not endorsing Menander's other views. And I think the thing is that that's exactly how one can approach some of this scholarship that you call liberal. We can take, like, like I said, eat the meat, spit out the bones. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you misconstrued what I was saying and assumed that because I said scholars that automatically, because they come from a particular seminary, now they need to be uh, uh, you know, just completely tossed out baby with the bathwater. And that's just not how that works, Chris. Now, if that's not what you were saying, then I apologize. But that seems to be the general uh, sentiment that I was getting from what you were saying. Right. So, yeah, that wouldn't be what I'm saying. So, look, I read, I read, I read all of Elizabeth A. Clark. She's a liberal scholar. Okay, she's a feminist liberal scholar. Um, I read liberal scholars. Um, the the thing is, is that they're not even part of the conversation. Like, they don't interact with our journals. They don't interact with conservative scholarship. Like the, the fact that, you know, there are multiple seminaries that have, you know, excellent scholarly journals that liberals will not interact with and scoff at, um, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, okay? And so when I say like Princeton, you know, is one of my pastors graduated with his MDiv from Princeton, and he was one of two conservative students in the entire seminary, and he basically didn't learn a thing in seminary, is what he will tell you, is that the stuff that they were teaching was such nonsense at Princeton that he just, he basically just phoned it in, okay? Because he thought he was going to get this grade A education, and when he went there, it was just a bunch of nonsense. And, you know, 19th century literary criticism is that. I mean, like, JEPD was so fully and roundly destroyed in scholarship that now they've got to modify JPD, you know, like, and, and, and all this stuff. And it's just, when, when we're talking about bad scholarship, that's what I'm talking about. The Bauer Ehrman hypothesis, the heresy of orthodoxy is an excellent book. I would highly recommend it. It talks about book. this divide. I'm sorry. I said, I have the book. I've owned the book for about okay. like six years. Okay, great. Well, let's like, we can dive into it together because what it does is it takes on all of these ideas. No, I agree with the book. I love the book. I'm just letting you know that I have it. I'm, I'm not sure if you think I'm like an idiot who doesn't have any conservative scholarship. Or, you know that. You know. I'm just saying like there's a there's – a, here's my here's my whole thing. Ed, is like there's a whole – Things going on in um, reform circles where we're trying to embrace things that are – have been widely rejected by our predecessors. Um you know, in the last generation. And, you know, we've got to work through these things ourselves and I get it. But like, I was there the first time, like all of this stuff was going around back, whatever, 25 years ago. And I watched it get demolished. And it's just a retread of that same art. And real quick, I just want to say, hey, Charlize, what's up? I haven't seen you in like a year. Hope all is well. And to get some other people in, uh, Yeshua and everyone, welcome, Yeshua, Jew. Want to jump in this? Yeah. Good morning to everyone on the stage. I was listening to the discussion. And uh, Chris, as a graduate of Fuller Seminary, I wanted to know what you mean when you say bad seminary. Just very curious about that. 
that they dropped inerrancy in the 70s. What do you mean? I mean, I, I mean, you went there. I mean, did you have professors that, that fully took on inerrancy? Yeah. Uh, or did they reject inerrancy? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's not... Um, I, I don't think that good education is about just saying is is about pointing out what everybody should agree with, but it's giving you uh, both sides of the argument and uh, the various perspectives around it. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know if the criticism is more so of the fact that uh, Fuller allows a wide range of thoughts to be explored or is it that is, you know, or is it just that one view should be held and that should be the only thing that should be discussed on the table. Good point, Chris. Unless you think that Christians need to be protected from these views, which usually leads to shell shock because Christians aren't prepared to defend against it. Yeah. So, so oh, maybe, maybe my, my internet went out. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, no, I'm not suggesting that we, um, other forms of scholarship or, or, you know, not have discussions. Bonson certainly did that, but Bonson was coming at it from a critique and he was looking at liberal scholarship, not from the perspective of, I hold this scholarship. I believe differently than you Christians. I'm going to challenge you on this. Bonson would do things like Let's look at the presuppositions of this scholarship. So there's a way in which that liberal scholarship can be taught without believing it. And so, you know, the the professors that, that my wife had, for instance. Oh, whoa. What'd you do? I, well, I almost ran into a car. Chris, but I, but I think you're strawmanning. I think you're strawmanning me, though. I'm not I don't think you dude. understood at I, all. I, I, again, well, I'm just, you, I'm, you not really, I, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm First of all, I'm addressing Yeshua real quick, but like, I'm not strawmaning you. Like, I look, I think that there's there's a whole lot of stuff out there that people want to delve into, and I just I'm not a fan of Walton, and I'm not a fan of Heiser. That's my only thing. And if you are, that's cool. I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, I just you know, but there's but there is a wide gulf of difference between having professors that genuine believe genuinely believe in liberal scholarship and are coming from a liberal scholarship point worldview uh where yeah, they are for the, for the record heiser heiser was a conservative scholar so yes, he believed yeah, in heiser Adam. Was, yes i get it yeah, yeah. And, and i don't have a criticism for heiser's i have a criticism for some of heiser's friend scholarship on things like the the uh psalm 82 stuff and stuff like that which oh i'm i'm, I'm a huge advocate of his psalm 82 stuff like i yeah i would so i would I say that problems with that okay i mean you can you can take that that's fine i'm not going to criticize you and i'm not going to like toss you out of the congregation over it like you know that's fine i mean it's 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 a valid no, no, i i, I get where you're coming from chris just so you understand something so i think the problem is that when we approach the biblical text and and i'm going to say this as someone who um as you know you know my viewpoints you know my soteriology i'm i'm pretty much in lockstep with you um i think the issue is when I'm looking at this scholarship, when I mention like what I mentioned about Genesis, it has nothing to do with liberal scholarship. It has to do with the literal Hebrew of the text and the consistent usage of that same Hebrew term in scripture. It has nothing to do with Walton's crazy viewpoints elsewhere. I don't agree with Walton's other viewpoints. 
But and for the record, Walton isn't the only one that proposes this. This is a consistent viewpoint that you're going to find even in some of the most conservative scholars, because there are conservative scholars, um, Chris, who don't take the viewpoint that you do regarding Genesis. And it's simply based on the Hebrew. It's just a feature of the grammar of the Hebrew and how it's consistently used. I think what we end up doing is we end up um, perhaps maybe because of our lack of understanding of the text culturally, we start reading presuppositions into the text that are not there, right? Like the idea of veganism and things like that based on how something is worded in the English rather than looking at the Hebrew. That's something that I emphasize when I talk to Hebrew Israelites, right? But I have to say this to my brothers and sisters who are like myself, evangelical, who make the same mistake because it's a feature of, it's just a feature of grammar of the original text, which is what we should be looking at if we're doing serious Bible study in Genesis, right? I just think that you took that, and because I mentioned scholars and this being consensus, regardless of the viewpoint of the relevant scholar that, you know, somehow, well, if Walton, and then you mentioned Walton and pagans and something being pagan seminary, oh, well, you know, uh, you can't trust it. Well, no, Chris, that's not how that works. Um, yeah, I can that, question that Walton. That was my argument. Again, please okay. don't straw man me. Well, real fast. Right, if it wasn't, then I, yeah. Let's check in with Edward real quick, because I have a feeling this will continue. Edward, did you have any question or thought on your mind? Good to see you. It's been a while. Hey, Nate. Um, back to this. Yeah, I think I'd like to continue listening to Faithful and Chris, but can you ask, what is the uh, topic in, about Genesis? What, what passages are in? Oh, the so the, the viewpoint was the idea that um, the people in Genesis were vegan or something to that effect. Mm. And I think that one has to read that into the text based on isolating particular verses in the English and then creating an entire doctrine around the uh, relevant translation or what one perceives the translation to be saying rather than perhaps thinking of it from the cultural mind, you know, mindset of the people who wrote the text, understanding it in that sense makes much more sense than just, well, let me guess at what I think Moses might be saying here. Hmm, let me think, oh, well, what would Moses be? You know, that doesn't, oh, well, he's thinking of veganism. Clearly this is vegan. No, that, that's how doctrines that are extra biblical get created, precisely okay. because people are reading ideas into the text so, rather than... So, oh, sorry. So, so who's saying that? Who, who's asserting that they were teaching veganism? And well, some, some there of the a, some of the brothers on the stage believe that veganism existed in Genesis one until like the the okay. uh, worldwide flood. Veganism okay, so or after, just vegetarianism? Because again, what we yeah, see for, for before the, record, the worldwide like, flood is there's no death, and death was a shocking thing. This is part of the fall. Well, th that's something that you're reading into the text, Chris. Uh, when you say there was no death before the fall, you literally have animals dying before the fall. Oh, you're talking about the fall in the Can garden. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. When, when it talks about the subjugation of the animals, when it says you will have dominion, it uses that's the same Hebrew. The text, though. No, that's not me reading it into the text. That's literally the Hebrew phrase there and how it's used consistently in Scripture. Unless you can show me an instance in Scripture where it's used differently – then I think that's an, that's an example, that's an idea of, uh, well, you know, death before, no, no, here's the thing, right. death among animals, we're talking, we're not talking about humankind, we're talking about animals, animals. So, so in, the, in the Hebrew, remember, there was a difference between the animals that were breathers of air, right, basically like mammals and stuff like that, and all of the other animal species. So if you're going to say that there were d the death of insects before the fall, I'm going to agree with you. 
Um, if you're going to tell me that, uh, you know, that the animals that God killed and gave their skins to Adam and Eve was not a shock to Adam and Eve, that they were just going around and what killing animals right and left, like I, I, just that's I think. Why, why that's not? Why, why would that be out of the realm of possibility, Chris? What I, in the text again, would, because... would preclude that? Where does the biblical text say? And there was no death among the animals, because you know, was, until the fall. Where does it say that no in the text? Death. Like, you know, and, and we talk about humans and those types of animals that were on the ark as having a nefesh, right? It's not. Yes, but can, can you show me soul. in the biblical text where it says that there was no death until the fall in the garden among well, I mean, animals? Now you're asking for the exact word fallacy. No, no, okay? but that's so, but the point so is so that you're you saying that it's in the text, right? That it's clear. Fallacy, so no, no, I didn't end. say give me the word for word. I said, can you show me in the text? Yeah, I think that. Go, I think go, go to the Hebrew with me. Let's walk through the Hebrew well, with me, if you'd like. I don't speak Hebrew. Okay. Well, but so, I, I can, but I can I parse Hebrew. I have scholars Hebrew. that agree with me. Okay. So I have so, scholars so who agree Russell, with me. What is that? What does that mean? So, I mean, so that just means irrelevant. That just gets down to okay. my scholar. Yeah. Can be so we should be. Scholar, well, no, I didn't say anything about my scholar. I said, let's go to the Hebrew text. But we don't need the Hebrew text because that, that's not applying. Sure, we need the Hebrew text. Are you wait, kidding wait, me? Wait, wait, wait. That's what it was originally wait, written. Wait, wait. The point is, if we just concede, right? We can concede that your Hebrew text means, you know, a violent subjugation or whatever. So that's not yeah. what we're arguing. Like, let's just concede that. But then you say what well, you have to see how else that is used, implying yeah. that if it was used to, like, you know, kill animals in other places in the Bible. It is 100% that exact usage. That's what we're arguing about because you can't prove that just because it was well, that's used the that consistent way in other usage passages, in scripture. So finish my thought. You're right, because you're saying that's the cons consistent view. Therefore, it has to be how it was used here. And I'm saying, no, we challenge that. Yeah, but the problem is that you're presupposing veganism of some sort in the biblical text. And then you're starting with the assumption of veganism and then looking okay. for some. Well, well, let me finish. And then you're looking for that assumption uh, within the text. What I'm saying is, if we understand the cultural milieu that Moses, because I believe Moses wrote Genesis and the other uh, books of the law, the Pentateuch, um, if we understand it from his viewpoint, how would an ancient person have written about this? It, it, that's where it becomes problematic. And I think that that's where we're divorcing the text from its original um, intended uh, context and meaning. And then we're reading into the text things that are not there. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm but drawing this from the text. Doing, you're all you're also not immune from doing the exact thing you're accusing us of. You're no, actually, I'm I'm text. certainly immune by by this sense. If we look at the consistent pattern of how did ancient Near East societies think about these ideas, right? Because you can find and and when I say that, understand that I'm not arguing for their paganism and their uh, nefarious actions elsewhere. Because even the biblical text admonishes those cultures for doing that. But there's a consistent understanding that you can find within ancient Near East societies, within their, their various texts, that you can find in the biblical text itself. And once we understand it from that viewpoint, it becomes easy to understand, oh, this is what's going on right here. 
and it begins right, to make so you need perfect books sense. Outside the scripture to be able to understand the scripture correctly. Yeah, like literally, when you have the author of Jude quoting First Enoch, which isn't scripture, the Assumption of Moses, which isn't scripture, or when Paul quotes the apocryphal work of Jonas and Jambres in Second Timothy chapter three verse eight, which isn't scripture, or when he's quoting Greek poetry, which isn't scripture, or when Solomon is quoting a poem from an Egyptian pharaoh, which isn't scripture. Like, if we're gonna play this game, Chris. Oh. I, I think I think yeah, it becomes Ed's problematic. Strong, Chris, Ed, was, Chris, Ed, was, Ed was being polite and raising his hand. What's yeah, up, Ed? I, 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 won't, I won't keep you long. Uh, Chris, this question for you, this relates to the top. This is an interesting exchange, by the way. What would you say, Chris, though, if someone said, like, you know, in Isaiah, regarding the messianic reign of Jesus Christ, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Now, many people believe that in the messianic reign, there will be, uh, like, the you know, wolves will no longer eat lambs. They'll actually lie down together and eat grass. The lion will eat grass. Do you think that would be an argument for your position that – So, so yeah, right. that's a good question. So, yeah, like the ox will tread hay, you know, stuff like that. So um, here's the thing is that uh, I think that a lot of that stuff is going to rightly be taken figuratively, um, that these are just ideas of peace um, that the Messiah brings, right? Um, like and swords into plowshares, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, like this, the the idea, you know, look, the the idea that there was no death is a it before the fall is an idea that I, I think is important to the scripture. When we get into uh, federal headship and Adam, um, one of the things that happened is that the creation was directly affected by the fall. Um, and there were the curses of the land, etc. Um, and then we later on see um, that people weren't eating animals because there was the Noahic prohibition from eating animals that was lifted after Noah. So, I mean, there's just this idea that, you know, we can have old earth and we can do the, you know, all this stuff it's fine. Like, I'm not going to break fellowship with somebody over it, but it's not a, the consensus scholarship, um, conservative consensus scholarship is mm -hmm. going to be on my side. Whereas liberal scholarship okay. from liberal seminaries is going to be from the other side. And that's I, fine. I got you. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I Wait, if, if I could just, the problem is that Chris doesn't understand that these viewpoints predate the enlightenment. You can actually find it within the scholarship of Christians, conservative Christians, before the advent of liberal liberalism and all this other stuff. Like Chris doesn't like Chris. So can you name you, a couple for me? Oh, absolutely. For example, you can find it in Augustine's writings. You can find it literally being quoted by Aquinas. You can, I mean, you can we can go down the list of people that talk about these ideas. No, no, no. But you said before liberalism, Aquinas was not liberal. He did not hold to liberalism. So you said before you said these are enlightenment so, ideas. Oh, no, wait, Chris, let me finish. No, wait, Chris, you got to speak. Hold on. Let me finish because I don't like to be interrupted. I think the problem is that if we're going to approach this, I, I think the first rule should not to be to uh, straw man the other side, uh, make assertions that are demonstrably false, because if you're going to disagree, I don't have any problem with you disagreeing with me. I have an issue, though, when you're misrepresenting 
the topic at hand and making it seem like, oh, this is just liberal scholarship. And meanwhile, you can find us in very conservative Christian men historically. And I just named two off the top of the head. There's more that I can quote to you. And I can show you what the Jews had to say about this too, Chris. I can show you a consistent pattern. That's the yeah, difference so, so between I can our show perspective. You a consistent pattern as well. And, you know, again, it comes down to my scholar can beat up your scholar, you know? So, I mean, like, look, man, the, the, the whole thing is, is that, you know, like you may be able to, to quote mine and Aquinas or uh, an Augustine for some type of thing that's going to agree with 19th century liberalism um, and some type of von Harnack type of, you know, rejection of mosaic authorship. And I know you don't reject mosaic authorship. I'm not accusing you of that. Um, you know, but, but I mean, like, if you read up on von Harnack and the, the rise of German um, literary criticism, you're going to find a lot of the exact same ideas that you're describing exactly parroted in German higher literary criticism. It's not to say that they're right or wrong because of that. It's not from fruit of the poison tree. But when I call these things liberal scholarship, it's because I've read them before when I read 19th century criticism. That's all. And let's take another regularly scheduled break to say hi to Michael. Michael, didn't, I didn't get to get to you. I think I was leaving yesterday Wait. or whenever the last time you came, Wait. right as you were leaving. Wait, can I Just say one more to... thing? Yeah, yeah. let, let me say hi to Michael real quick. Okay, Edwin, okay, sure. Right. <laughs> I, I'm going to be taking off from work, so I won't be talking about it. Go on, Michael. Yeah, very briefly, um, for what it's worth, I, I tend to lean towards Chris's position. However, I'm open to i got to go to work, so I, I'd like to continue listening to these dialogue. But anyway, about the, the, the passages on Isaiah, Chris, I would tend to think they're literal, though. And I tend they do support your position. I don't think it is figurative, but we can talk about that another time. But anyway, go on, Michael. That, thanks for letting me speak, Nate. Thanks to everybody. Wait, 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 sure. Real quick, because uh, just before Michael goes, I think that there's a lot of ad hoc reasoning in what Chris is saying. And I think that it, it really ignores the evidence that he's – I don't know if he's aware of – that predates liberalism from men who clearly were not liberal in their viewpoints. I, I just think that this is uh, like, like we're going to agree to disagree, Chris. Yeah, we're going to agree to disagree. And the early church fathers and the medieval fathers had, you know, one page of brilliance and three pages of heresy all the time. What's up, Michael? Well, hey, everybody. Um, <laughs> regarding what uh, was said about the, the, the wolf and the lamb or the lion and the lamb, I like the line that uh, I think it was Woody Allen that said, um, you know, the, the Bible says that the lion and the lamb will lay down together and one of them won't get much sleep. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, it, kind of from, from my perspective, it, it kind of means that you have to, you know, it's like the, the idea of um, the biology and physiology having to change isn't something that I think you can square outside of just accepting something on faith. And if that's what you're going to do, cool. Um, but you know, I, I've, I've heard this argument before that, Oh, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, they, they, they vegetables and stuff like that. It's like, it, it would just mean that they're like, again, that their anatomy would change. And we, we know that's not how biology works. Um, but I don't, I don't see it. I, I think I agree with, with Chris on the point where, and yeah, you know, everybody mark it down your calendars, uh, December 12th. I'm agreeing with Chris, um, that, you know, it's like from a, from a Christian perspective, I can't, I can't see where that would be something that would be, um, 
salvific in nature. And I think that, you know, Chris was saying, you know, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't break fellowship with someone over some, something like that because it's not something, or he doesn't see it as something that's that big a, big a deal. And I think I look at it the same way. And I don't have a dog in that fight. Anyway, well, yeah. morning, everybody. And, and I mean, yeah, good morning. Good to see you. I'm glad, glad when you're here, we get to talk. And I mean, you know, for the record, you know, you know, we believe things that you think are way crazier than a lion not eating. Um, so, you know, e- either because their anatomy changes or because, you know, they're in a spiritual realm where, you know, normal sustenance is not required, which would also be, you know, well beyond what you think is normal or possible. Um, if something doesn't eat the sheep because it just doesn't need to eat. So it doesn't automatically mean it's eating a carrot. Maybe it doesn't need to eat at all, um, which, again, is chalk that up to, you know, faith in God and what's going to happen. But I mean, you know, we believe in this whole spiritual world. So, you know, maybe we won't eat. Maybe we will eat. Uh, maybe the things we eat are not for sustenance; it's just for some sort of enjoyment. So maybe if we, you know, talking about like you know Jesus, how he says he's not going to drink wine again until he's, you know, drinking it with people in heaven. Um, maybe Jesus is not drinking wine for sustenance. Maybe he's just drinking for enjoyment. So you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of split that, but all of them, yeah, rely on faith in this God that what he says will happen will happen. And yeah, I I just believe that. Uh, any anyone else? I broke the room, Nate. <laughs> I, I think you did. Uh, here comes June to say something. What's up, June? It's been a long time since I've seen you. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, uh, a bit busy, but uh, just a lot to, to talk about God. So, in regards to the German and liberal scholarship, do you think like? I, I do you think it's okay to uh doubt the authorship of the gospel writers? Well, of course not. But yeah. go ahead. Yeah, of course not. You know, I, I think the what Chris and I were discussing had to do specifically with the idea that um, if a liberal scholar gets one thing wrong then the assumption is don't trust anything else he says. That is essentially the genetic fallacy. I think that a person can get 99 things wrong and get one thing right. And the one thing that he got right is not negated by the other 99 things that he got wrong. I think that that is where we have to have discernment. And that's where I was using the adage, eating the meat and spitting out the bones. Some people, their scholarship has more bones than meat. And that's where we practice discernment. I also heard Chris say that, you know, we had the advantage of having so many good, like, you know, um, good Christian conservative type scholars, uh, theologically speaking, that any point, uh, because we have so much of those, any point that a liberal scholar would make, um, you don't need to really consider because any good thing they say will have been subsumed in something else that a, you know, non-liberal scholar has said as well as also being theologically sound in other areas. So I, I heard that as we don't have to be in a position where we chew their meat and spit out the bones because there's a lot of bones on that versus taking what uh, you know a, what we would consider generally a correct, more conservative uh, scholar would say because there's a lot less bones to spit out. Um, that's what I heard. So it's not like like we, we, we can avoid that conundrum of having to parse through the bones and just go straight to something good that someone else has said um, 
That's what I heard, anyway. I, 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 I also remember. Sorry. Sorry, I also remember hearing once. I can't remember who said it. It might have been uh, Bertrand Russell, who said, um, "It's a good idea every once in a while to hang a question mark on the things we hold to be true." And I think that that's I think that that's good from any perspective. So even if you know, and let me put on my my uh, my Christian hat for a second. So if I'm a if I'm a believer, I can question something. And that questioning can lead me to do more research and maybe strengthen my faith as a result of doing more research. You, you know, the, the reverse might happen. You may quite like what happened to me. You may question your faith, go looking and lose your faith. But questioning something should never be looked at as a bad thing. So I, I don't agree with what Faithful said, where he said you shouldn't question um, biblical scholar, like authorship. Question it. it. And it's not necessarily going to net a negative result. It could net a positive result. If I could speak to that real quick, just, just briefly. The, what I was saying is that the reason that I, I certainly disagree with the viewpoint of questioning the biblical authors uh, being who they are in the case of the Pentateuch Moses is because Christ identifies the author of the Pentateuch as Moses, right? I think how we interpret that. Here, here's a wonderful way. Um, and this is something that I would say, unfortunately, uh, a lot of my reform brothers uh, in the faith uh, probably didn't do a great job of early on, precisely because they didn't understand this. But in the ancient Near East, the person who represents you, like your scribe, um, when he did something on your behalf, it's as if you did it. You know, it's the concept of shalia, Right. Uh, Shalia means like sent one in Hebrew. It's it's the equivalent of the um, the Greek apostolos or apostle. So your sent one, your apostle, your Shalia represented you, right? In, in the case of scribes, they would represent the person who wrote. So we can attribute Mosaic scholarship to Moses, even if it was his scribes later who wrote down, for example, his death, because how would Moses have written about his death, right? And this is something that I would say, because we now understand how these ancient societies operated, which is something that my, uh, you know, some of the reformers in the 16 and 1700s didn't quite understand to the degree that uh, reform scholars understand today. Because if you go to a, a conservative seminary, reform scholars are going to teach you that. But here's the interesting thing. And I wanted to say this to Chris. Do you know that there are people who consider those reform scholars to be liberal, quote unquote, because they're teaching that? Or do you know that there are people who consider reform scholars that teach that First John 5 and 7 is not uh, original to the text? They consider those guys to be, quote unquote, liberal as well. You know, the idea that something that disagree and I'm saying this not for because I disagree with a lot of what Walton has to say. But but the idea that, well, if he if I if I don't agree with Walton on this point, therefore, everything he says is wrong is literally to commit the genetic fallacy, Chris. He can be wrong on 99 things and get one thing right. Now, that doesn't mean that, oh, he got this one thing right. Now I'm going to go ahead and validate everything else he, he said. Of course not. I can wholeheartedly disagree with his views on Adam while absolutely agreeing with his viewpoint about violence um, existing in the garden uh, prior. Not because he said it, but because it's the consistent view you can find in the biblical text in the Hebrew. And you can find that word being used not only in the biblical text, but outside of the biblical text uh, in a consistent manner 
that reflects the usage in the biblical text, because that's how it was used in those ancient Near East societies. Keeping in mind, Northwest Semitic cultures, you know, generally spoke the same dialect or variant forms of the same dialect. So this is going to be a consistent pattern of linguistics that you're going to find in those cultures. It's not liberal to say that. Just like it's not liberal to say 1 John 5, 7 isn't original to scripture, like you and I agree with, Chris, like your ESV, my ESV, which I use, doesn't have 1 John 5, 7 in it. But if our King James only his friends come on stage, they're going to point out that our Bible somehow took out 1 John 5, 7. Look, that's that liberal scholarship. Look, you believe in liberal scholarship. You would look at them like they're silly, right? But you would look at them as being silly because you understand why 1 John 5, 7 isn't there. Just like what I was explaining to you from the biblical text, how we understand it within its cultural framework. It's the same concept. It doesn't make what I'm saying liberal, just like it doesn't make what you're saying liberal. You understand well, me? Well, faithful, I'm just wondering, like, I, I think, like, there can be a degree of skepticism in terms of, like, uh, I think it's okay for a Christian, and to add to what Michael says, it's okay to say, like, the authors actually didn't write the Gospels, for example, or the New Testament themselves. The disciples helped them, or the disciples wrote many parts. As you say, Shaliyah, does the same concept can apply with the disciples in the New Testament. It doesn't really matter. So, you know, like, I, I think if somebody will say, you know, um, if the New Testament authors didn't write it, certainly the disciples did. I think that's okay. I think that's very logical and sensible. But for mm -hmm. me, uh, I... I disagree with uh, Michael. If we're going to say like, okay, so because uh, Mark, Mark's gospel uh, described the destruction of the second Jerusalem temple with such detail. And, be, and, um, and be, because of that, it's impossible because any human cannot uh, actually like write such certain event to that detail unless you live there. I mean, I really think that that is not really Christian. What do you think, Faithful? Like, I mean, for yeah, me, yeah, I, 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 but I agree with you. We're we're both we're you're preaching to the choir. So if a scholar were to say the Gospels uh, can't accurately be depicting this, therefore this has to be a prophecy after the fact that was written down by somebody uh, centuries later, I would disagree with that. I don't have to agree with that proposition. But if a person, for example, points out to me that First John five seven uh, is not uh, original to the uh, first epistle of John. And let's say they're atheists. I don't have to agree with their other assumptions about the biblical text to agree with them. There, would you agree with that? That if, if someone were to ask you, well, uh, faithful, you, uh, I know that it's. I think it's still similar. No, no, but I just it's wait, not. Wait, wait, it's, wait, to, to well, I haven't. I haven't finished. I haven't okay, finished. Okay, okay, okay. I thought you did. So, so June, if I were to ask you, right, personally. Uh, do you believe First John five seven is original to the first epistle of John? What would be your answer to that? Can you hear me? I I can hear you, but I asked a question. Okay, so I don't. Um, I tried to mute myself, but then uh, club was really weird, so I had to ask. So um, before I ask you, uh, before I answer that question, can mm -hmm. I, can I answer you with another question that is very similar? But well, could you please answer that? Because I feel we'll get lost in because the point that I'm trying to convey there, for me it, like, it hinges on the answer wait, to the wait, question. Wait. But if I tell you my answer right now, then uh, you may not understand my answer so, because okay. my answers are a little bit complex. So, um, so do you think 
uh, those who say Castle First Stone, that verse in John, do you think that mm -hmm. uh, it's not in the uh, original man manuscripts or it's not in the early manuscripts? So do you think that we should take it out? So I take a viewpoint that's very similar to James White when it comes to those passages. I don't think that they are original to the text. And by the way, he's not the only one who takes this viewpoint. <laughs> so I chose someone extremely reformed. So people don't accuse me of somehow being liberal unless they're going to accuse uh, Dr. White of being liberal. But it's understood that that's not that reading isn't found in many of our oldest manuscripts. Now, this is generally why uh, the ESV puts those uh, passages in brackets to indicate that they're not uh, that they're in dispute. So I find it relevant. You know, the ESV is a reformed translation and it uses brackets there to indicate that very clear fact right um th the reason that i bring this up is because it's to point out that you have conservative bible believing men who put their you know their their knowledge to create a a translation that would reflect what the biblical text is saying and yet you know i'm sure that people 300 years ago if they would have heard such ideas before the advent of textual criticism in, in the way that we understand it today, they would have looked at that and they would have been shocked that anybody would even dare think that 1 John 5, 7 isn't scripture. But I think that the problem is, like, if you read John Gill, great reformer, John Gill literally says it's not original to the text. And he lived in the 1600s, right? So even in his time, there, was the, there were these ideas that other people and other generations would have considered to be liberal, quote unquote. I think the thing is that if we're true to the Reformation, then always reforming means reforming ideas that uh, maybe we've inherited because of uh, assumptions that we're approaching the text with, that we should probably get away from and be faithful, uh, no pun intended to my own name, but be faithful to the text and respect what the author's original intent was. While that in no way I don't believe in, in any way negates any essential doctrine, I think it's important that we do that to be consistent in our, um, our, our methodology. Otherwise, how are we going to say, hey, it's okay to be uh, into textual criticism, but if you disagree with my interpretation of Genesis and where it says dominion over the animals, well, <laughs> then therefore you don't believe in scripture. And I'm not saying you said that. I, I think that, that that's a great example of being uh, inconsistent. And I think if we're going to be consistent, then, you know, you, you have to go all the way. Otherwise you're not being consistent. And I don't think most people are going to be consistent in that regard, regarding their methodology. So interestingly enough, with, with so much of what you said, Faithful, I, I think you actually demonstrated a point that I was trying to make, and I'm not trying to, you know, get into a, um, a bickering point about it. Can you can you hear me? Can I interject quickly? started speaking. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need a, I only need about 15 seconds. Okay, so, well, sure, sure, Michael. Okay. Everything that everything that you said, did it did it just kind of come to you, or did you do a lot of research in it? A lot of research. Right. So. So, so in in actuality, you you demonstrated my point because you you looked at things and then you you studied more and came to a greater understanding. That's the only point that I was trying to make before. That's all. Yeah, I, I, that's why I agree with you in that respect, Michael. I, I I really respect you for saying that. I mean, obviously, we should all do a lot of research, but uh, 
how we do, how we conduct research and how we engage in critical thinking is also important that we have to discuss how we uh, engage with our critical thought when we encounter certain evidence, certain text or anything else. So, you know, uh, so, sometimes, you know, people can think critically in many different ways. So that's, uh, that's what we have to discuss, right? So faithful, like for me, uh, I can agree with you that um, these type of discussions in terms of, um, you know, being faithful to the early text, I don't think we should have any division over it. But I, I did you read uh, D.A. Carson's work? Because for me, yes, I have a bunch of his work. Do, in regards to this issue of you know, um, it's the those who think as the first stone. Because in his co commentary, he argues from the from Ambrose of Milan and uh, Augustine of Hippo that uh, those two church fathers were claiming that people back in John's time deliberately took those. Uh, text out because they feared that people would misunderstand what Jesus said and uh, and believe that uh, adultery is permissible. And this is why it's plausible. And this type of theory is even more plausible because John uh, in Revelation says, do not add or do not take anything out uh, in, my, in what I have written. Now, maybe you're in the camp where you know, Apostle John didn't write it. Maybe it's just John. It doesn't really matter. But I think the whole point. No, no I take the viewpoint that John wrote. But I, I think that this assumes that, you know, because I understand that uh, the men that you quoted said that. Um, but we also have other church fathers that uh, put it this way. That there seems to be. Given that it's not in our oldest manuscripts. You know. And but I think that that's possible to suggest because of what John has written in Revelation. Do yeah, but, but, add, but, 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 but John, yeah, yeah if, if I just could, because you're, see, that's an example of quote mining something. So when he talks about not taking or removing, it's in reference to specifically the, the book of Revelation. I think people misinterpret that passage and then they want to apply that linearly. Uh, first and foremost, they want to apply it linearly to every other uh, book of scripture. Uh, I, I think that would create problems if we were to take that sort of an approach. Um, but it's specifically talking about Is the it really uh, quote money because, okay, sure, uh, that's in the specific context of Revelation, right? Mm -hmm. But we we know for sure that he would say he would say the same thing to any of his writing. Yeah, can you can you show me where he says that in any of his epistles? I mean, I, what I was saying is, if people are trying to take some stuff out from Revelation, right? It doesn't mean that we have absolute evidence. But what we can say is, if people are trying to take some stuff out from Revelation, what about other texts, right? And obviously, because uh, John right, condemned. Uh, Taking out some stuff uh, or adding some stuff in in Revelation, right? We can assume that this problem could occur in other places. I think this is quite plausible. And again, there is, uh, there there is quite of a motive that we can clearly see, uh, for people to take out those who say cast the first stone. I do think that it's plausible, even um, even John five John first John. Uh, 
what was it? Five, first John five verse seven. Even that, I, I, I think that there can be clear motives for why people will be tempted to take out uh, the Trinity there, right there because it can be very confusing. And even then, in, in earlier of his writing, in First John, Jesus clearly says, I'll return back to my God and your God. So, like, there can be that type of, because of these... Uh, Wait, can, can, I, can I just stop you because, you? because this is hinging on an incorrect presupposition that you're starting from. So this is Revelation twenty two nineteen, And it reads, If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, meaning the book of Revelation, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. This is a great example of why we shouldn't hinge our ideas on what we think the text is saying, and we should actually read the text. Can you listen and then to this me way, properly? Because I never said that. I you were saying well, you were saying that if we t because you're saying that the general concept exists elsewhere in his writings. I think the problem is that you're starting with the assumption that the way that it's being used here uh, necessarily means that that you know. I, know, I think he was necessary. saying other people could do that. Other people could do that. That's all I'm saying. I never. I'm not using this as a base foundation. All I'm saying is plausible that since he is t calling out people for or taking out stuff from Revelation, so he's telling people to not add or take anything from it. Uh, we can assume that other people, other people may have right tried to take some stuff out from other other parts of his writings we don't know for sure obviously i agree with you there but it's plausible because if people are trying to take some stuff out in one thing mm. it's possible if other people if some other people will take out some stuff from his writing from another that's what i'm saying yeah but but so i think the issue, really i think the issue is here claim. is that if john didn't actually write what was said in first john 5 7 um, then it becomes a problem. It, given the fact that during the Arian controversy, First John five seven wasn't invoked. Uh, during the modalist, the modalism, the Sabellian controversy, uh, the the controversy with Praxius, none of these early church fathers, none of them use what is supposedly called First John five seven. Um, there's a very, I mean, the fact that none of our earliest Greek manuscripts have it. There you can't invoke this idea of people misusing it and not – I mean this would have been a perfect proof text to refute people who believed in this idea of Christ well, being the father. Really what I'm saying because for me what I think is – No, no, but my point is that people will take that as liberalism. That was my point earlier. The idea because I think we've moved yeah, away from the point. To to if I could finish. Okay, okay. Hey, hang on real fast. I just noticed. I don't know if Sheep of the Lord has been talking or not, if they've been quiet, but I wanted to give them a chance to get in here too. Yeah, if I could just, just land on this point, I won't be too much longer. I just think the problem is that when we when we talk about something being liberal, we need to be careful because in the past, in fact, our, our King James only as friends would consider us a liberal for saying first John five seven is not original to the text. But faithful, right? I don't get why you keep mentioning the liberals because I uh No no no. I mentioned it because we were having a discussion prior to you uh you okay, know having okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Can I'm you I'm just pointing deal with what well, well, I'm I'm dealing with what you're saying, but I think it's salient that you understand that there was already a dialogue happening before you came in. And what I'm saying is that when people uh, and I'm not saying you have said this, so it's important that you understand what I'm no, saying no, and what I, I'm not. I know, saying. I know, but what I'm saying is since we are discussing together now, I 
I'd rather you just focus on what we're talking about. No, I'm I'm focused on what we're talking about, but it doesn't it doesn't remove. But there was there was a because you had interjected when I was speaking earlier about liberalism. When people accuse something of being some idea being uh, not trustworthy because it comes from a liberal, I think the issue is that one, and this is important, this is salient. We don't have to agree with an with a scholar's entire presuppositional viewpoint to agree with him on a point that we ourselves can see in scripture for ourselves in the Hebrew text. I think that's what's salient here. Like in the same way that we can look objectively at the manuscripts and notice first John five, seven isn't there. Notice the early church fathers never quote that passage. They never cite of uh, the the first epistle to John and mentioned that relevant passage. And the only time that it's quoted is after the fact. And it's quoted after the fact by people who aren't even quoting first John five, seven. How about that? That's what's salient about that. Yeah, I think sheep, are you there? Sheep? Did you want to say anything? Here's your chance. Sheep in three, two, one. Uh, CEO, what's up? Um, yeah, so I do want to agree with Faithful on the big picture point here that you do not need to agree with the majority of what someone says to find value in a point that they're making. I think this is something society does too much of, that we basically will distrust a source because we don't agree with them the majority of the time. People can tell truth and make great analysis in isolation, and you can just look at that point in isolation. You don't have to agree with them in general. I mean, for the record, like, you know, I think we would all say the devil can look at a clock and tell us the right time. But if there's someone else to ask, I mean, I'll I'll ask someone else. Sure. And and let me just, you know, you guys have done a good job responding and, and faithful. No one has said that we reject everything from scholars. I'm saying there are better scholars to read. than Yeah, no one no one's denied that there, there's better scholars. But if you right. have a not so good scholar. That doesn't mean we can't use his writing because he's wrong 99% well, of the here's time. The, here's the thing. Academically, you're correct, okay? My concern is not so much academically because you and I can sit down and we can read an Elizabeth Clark and we're fine, right? Like I can take, you know, or I can take, you know, Bauer, you know, and read Orthodoxy of Heresy. Um, and we're fine because we are more mature, we're older, we've been in the faith a long time, um, we've studied these things. What I'm, my main concern with citing quote-unquote liberal scholars, and the way I, and also the way I define liberalism is denying specific uh, portions of the historic Christian faith. So like, for instance, liberalism would be a rejection of inerrancy right? Liberalism would be a rejection of the bodily resurrection of Christ. Like these are all things that von Harnack was especially all about, as well as other liberal scholars, like, you know, anyway. So that's how I'm defining liberalism, not the fact that somebody's just painting somebody as a liberal, like a KJV only is just painting us as liberals because we use the LSB or the ESV. That's just silly. So, and, and I agree with you with that. And, but I think the larger point is that if we're going to be out here telling people about Christ and then teaching deeper theology, if the things that we are referencing 
could also have things that could damage or shipwreck the faith of somebody that we have to be extremely careful how we deal with those resources. For you and me and some other mature Christians, you know, like Dempsey and stuff, we can sit and read liberals all day long and it's not going to bother us, right? I can read all about JEPD and it's not going to be a problem, right? Um, which I have. Uh, now, we hand that to somebody who's got, say, three years in the faith and it could shipwreck them, you know, because now it's calling into question you know, the inerrancy of the text, it's calling into question, like, did, did miracles really happen? Like all these things, you know, it's, it's doing yeah, scientism yeah, but, but, and all but Chris, But that would be a straw man though, because none wow. of us, it, it's like, it's like feeding a, a child meat and potatoes when they can't even handle Gerber. With a brand new Christian, you're going to wean them off milk until they can handle meat and potatoes. I'm not talking at about that. But, but I think at some point, I'm though. About, I'm talking about somebody who is now in the faith and is learning deeper theology, like somebody that we're teaching. Yeah, that, that's theology. the point. When somebody's learning deeper theology, you let them know you you shouldn't be worrying about deeper theology right now. For, for, meaning, like, uh, huh? if you're meaning by deeper theology, if you mean like textual criticism or. Some no, no, some no. of what the I'm stuff that you know. I mean, someone so, who is ready to learn deeper theology, and that's right. the first deeper theology they get. Right, and 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 that's exactly what Nate, one hundred percent encapsulated it in ten seconds. So, yes. so what I'm trying to say is like, so for instance, one, you know, my our dear friends that are the the college kids that have gotten deeply into Thomism, right? Okay. The reason that I have a problem with Thomism is that it has shown historically over and over again that a large portion who get too deep into Thomism swim the Tiber and go all the way Roman Catholic. That's a problem, right? That's an apostasy. And so it's not to say that I reject all of Aquinas. I use Aquinas. I use Boethius. I use Pseudo-Dionysius. Um, but it's also to say that I've been doing this for 30 years. Like, I can read Aquinas and it doesn't bother me or make me want to, you know, swim the Tiber. I'm not so sure that a 20 year old has that ability. So I'm saying yeah, that nobody's saying that, like, you're, nobody's saying that you're, you're going to nobody's you know? saying that you're going to give uh, Walton stuff to a 20 year old who just came into the faith a year ago. I think but that's, that's a strong man. But though. that's been happening on Clubhouse. Yes, but here's the thing, Chris. If has you it haven't, not? Am I correct or not? Yeah, I, I don't know Clubhouse? if it. I don't know if it's happened on Clubhouse. However, it's what I will say, Clubhouse. we don't need it. Well, if it ha if it <laughs> if it has happened, then that's unfortunate. Here's the thing: when I do my rooms, I'm very careful. I'm very mindful in how I speak to the younger Christians. And one of the things that I I tell them, uh, and Chris, you've been in one of my rooms where I've done this with Miguel. You know who Miguel is, right? I've told Miguel, Miguel don't get involved in apologetics. Uh, work on your faith, work on your walk with the Lord. Um, you know, just for now, focus on, you know, relationship. And and that's generally how I steer brand new Christians. I don't get it. And, and the thing is, if I'm having a discussion with a Hebrew is like, generally, I let people know in the audience that I'm going to bring out some points that are, um, that are complicated because, you know, our Hebrews like friends are very ignorant of the King James and different things like that. So I let them know, hey, I'm about to get into some, you know, uh, deep water right now. For those of you who may not be ready to handle this, I would suggest you leave the room. So I so I tell people to leave the rooms. I don't just sit there and just give them this stuff uh, blindly. And then, Bro, you know, this is it, not a critique of you, man. Like, I'm okay. not critiquing you right now at all. Like, I've never heard you do anything wrong in your rooms. Like. 
you know, presenting some type of liberal theory. That is not my accusation. Please do not get me wrong. I am just saying that, like, these types of resources in the hands of the uninitiated can be damaging. That's all I'm saying. And and I'm not accusing you of doing that at all, brother. Like that's not that's not my. No, I understand that, that, but by by the same token, though. No, I got I got you, Chris. By the same token, um, do you believe that guns are inherently evil? Just I'm going to use this as an example. Do you believe guns are inherently evil? What if I were to say yes? Well, no. A a gun (laughs) in and of itself is not inherently evil. It's what you do with the gun that makes it inherently evil. So, uh, for example, if you murder somebody with a gun. Uh, murder is inherently evil, uh, but having a gun for protection is not evil. The same way that having a sword is not inherently evil. It's if you live by the sword, if you're actively going out of your way to uh, murder people, that's what makes it evil. It, it, the same thing with uh, textual criticism. It can be used for good or it could be used for evil. The The methodology is not evil in and of itself. What makes it evil is what is the person's intent? Now, if I use textual criticism to shipwreck a person's faith, like I'm going to make this person not believe in the Bible, I think from our perspective as Christians, we would deem that to be evil, right? Now, if we're looking at it from the perspective of I'm going to teach a person textual criticism, so uh, if they do deal with an atheist and they bring up these issues, they won't be shell-shocked in the moment because the atheist is going to be very unforgiving in how he presents information. What we don't want our Christian brothers and sisters is to be unprepared when they have to deal with these guys, right? And I think that their maturity is is of uttermost importance because not everybody's um, mentally mature enough to to either handle the information, uh, properly, um, you know, use the uh, counter arguments against the uh, the typical responses, and and I think that that's where we have to practice discernment, all of us. To make a final point on this. It would be like, you know, fine, uh, you know, guns aren't inherently evil, but you wouldn't just give your kid a gun and say, have fun, protect yourself. Um, exactly. It would, be, right. it would be incumbent on you to give them proper firearms training, just like food. Exactly. If you have a kid, if you have a right. kid transitioning into uh, meats and harder foods, you wouldn't just say, here's a hot dog, good luck. You would chop it up into little pieces and feed them and gradually wing right. them onto it to make sure they don't choke and die. So the same thing, I think if you want to use these sources – then it's inherently incumbent upon you to chop them up and feed it to them bit by bit and explain, you know, the points you agree with, the points you don't agree with, and, you know, like build in um, your critique of them and your use of them at the same time, which would be equivalent to giving them proper training instead of just being like, hey, he makes a good point. Here's the book. Good luck. (laughs) Exactly. And and faithful, what what I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I I think – I think one of the things that we see, at least on Clubhouse, okay, like I, I don't know about other platforms, but at least on Clubhouse, I see a lot of like Dr. Bob and, you know, I'm talking about, right, Robert Morey. We just, we affectionately call him Dr. Bob. Um, you know, I, 